You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. There goes the encoder, and we are up and running. Welcome. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. We made it all the way up to episode 374. Catch us online, IT in the D.com. Do us a favor, give us a like on all of the socials and subscribe to us everywhere. Find podcasts are sold. That's right. You can catch us online. You can catch us on podcasts. You will not catch us outside, uh, at least not uh, not for the next few weeks. Uh, how about that? Yeah, no, no. How about that? No, no, no. Just we're 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 gonna be we're gonna be good little kids, and we're gonna we're we're grounded again. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna go ahead. Contrary to popular belief, or that, that the Rona is gonna be over the day after the election, apparently that's not true. Well, is is that? And, uh, I think it's because the votes are still being counted, Bob. That's it's it's not official oh, yet. Oh, oh, oh. So and, and until the until the actual certification takes place, I think we still have to deal with COVID. That's yeah. Fine. In that case, we'll bring Fred on. Oh, hey, Fred. Oh, yeah. Good to see you. Good to see you. So, Fred, what's going like? We thought this thing was going to be at least was like kind of taking a dip, slowing down. Everything's under control, and lo and behold, if we're you double down, right? if you if you would recall. The last time Fred was on our show, he basically told us this was exa- exactly what was going to happen. It has now happened, and here we are. So I, I would encourage people to sit down with, A, a strong drink, B, a notebook and a pen, and take notes during that. <laughs> I'll actually show you what I, what I said last time, Bob. So, so you, you, but it may, maybe call it to your recollection, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I wasn't very optimistic on, on our last call. How long ago was that? That was about what? Uh, eight, uh, about three, four weeks now. Yeah. Only three or four weeks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, a lot has happened, and good things. Uh, well, yeah, because it was right after. Um, it was right after the Michigan Supreme Court uh, shot down Whitmer's executive order. So I think that's four weeks. That's right. We went into the the economic impact yep. that that shut down. I, I'll shut her sitting there. I, I remember that now. And uh, since then, we've had some good news. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about the good news. And um, we've run some analyses. I wanted to show you some of that. I, I, during the course of the discussion, it's, it's interesting you bring up the fact that we haven't yet uh, had a concession uh, from the current administration. And so I'll, I'll refer to a new administration, and you should, you should review that as, as leave that as normal, as just as neutral. I, I don't, I, you know, whatever happens, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the virus will still act the way it's going to act. <laughs> so, well, I th- and I think that's the you know that's the one thing that, and I do, I I I really appreciate the fact, um, and I'm sure you watched Whitmer's address last night too. Um, she is very calm, very very level headed, and very logical um, when when she's laying things out. Uh, and and I think that's you know it no COVID doesn't care who you voted for. COVID COVID doesn't care um, whether or not you want your kids back in school. COVID COVID doesn't care. <laughs> come and find you it'll come and find you and give you a hard time well so the I lady that to... does the um oh go ahead friend no please please, please the, the lady that does the uh the oh the sign language translation or the, for the hearing impaired she needs her own tv show i mean she that the looks on her face i've never seen anything like it in my life it's i can't sometimes i can't even pay attention to whitmer because i'm like watching her it's so i've never she's so animated oh she's so animated it's yeah well, I, I wrote this presentation actually before Governor Whitmer did her thing. As you know, uh, Michigan is one of the few states I do not consult to. So, uh, but I, I do consider her one of the better 
groups. Uh, uh, one of the better states. I, I, you know, if I had to kind of rank her, I think she's one of one of the top, maybe five or ten governors. Uh, react to responses to the to the, the, to the virus overall. So she's done an excellent job in most areas. You know, there's a couple of areas that I, I would I would have a slight issue with, but overall, she's done an excellent job. Uh, could be should be commended. And um, uh, uh, what I what I want to say is that. I gave this presentation to uh, uh, the fellows at Harvard uh, because they were interested in the vaccine impact. And so literally a couple of days after Pfizer announced uh, its vaccine um, uh, and the results of the vaccine, well, the, the data safety board uh, of the FDA um, looked at the results and, and announced the 90%. They asked me to do some analyses. And I wanted to show you some of those analyses. Now, when I gave it to the, to the fellows at Harvard, we went, we went through this for about four hours. <laughs> so hopefully you, we won't take that much time. You know, they, they, they probably weren't as smart as our audience, so they'll, they, they didn't get it to staff. But I want to let you know that it, the, some of these issues are, are kind of interesting. And if you have questions, feel free. Just, just jump right in. Well, uh, and, we'll, and we'll, Pfizer, if I recall correctly, so this – yeah, exactly. All we were going to do was talk about the Mandalorian episode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so, it, it, so if I recall correctly, so Pfizer, this trial run that they did was 94 people, if I recall correct. correctly. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And they, what they found was, so what they do is they vaccinate 15,000 people. In this case, they actually vaccinated about 37,000 people, 38,000 people. They're going to 44. They have to, you know, close, they, they've already shut down uh, the whole trial, but you have to go through two doses and they have to go through two months of analysis of, of the safety data before you're allowed to re- respond. But they had an interim uh, trials all the way planned out. And we'll go into some of that, uh, how, the way they designed this trial, because the trial design is really critical in understanding what the impact is of, of, of the vaccine. Uh, we'll go into that in some detail. But basically what they found was that, you know, 94 people got said, hey, I don't feel very good. I'm going to go to the hospital, tested them, and it turned out that they had the injection of, of either saline or they had the injection of the vaccine, and 94 of them got sick. Of those 94, um, they had over 90% infections, which, which means if you do all the math, about 80, eight, over 86 people in the 94 had to have just gotten the, 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 the saline solution. And then about maybe eight or maybe even zero uh, got, 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 uh, got uh, of these groups got the vaccine. And that meant that the vaccine was that effective in stopping you know, very, uh, uh, the, the, the symptoms. And we'll go into some of the significance of that. But why don't I show you some of the slides that, if you'd like? And then we'll um, th- then feel free to break in any time, and uh, I will show you what I showed them, and you guys can see what you think. Uh, but it may, it may take a little while uh, to go through some of it because it's sort of interesting, and we can stop any time. You guys get tired, tell me, and we'll, we'll stop. You know, it's. Uh, it's uh, I'm 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 hardly I, I never get bored with I I get I get freaked out I I don't get bored. I get... <laughs> oh. <laughs> so this is this is um. Uh, the update. So as, as, as you remember, last time I talked, we talked about some of the large things, and I purposely left out vaccines. And everyone's saying, wait a minute, what about the vaccines? And I said, it's September 2nd. Uh, uh, we're going to have readouts in the middle of October, and we're going to know a lot more about the vaccine at that point. I don't really want to uh, say what I think I know from the data, um, but because I, it would be spe- too, too, too speculative. Now we know uh, a little bit more, and so I thought, why not? We'll, we'll talk a little bit more uh, about uh, about what happened. So um, I Gave this. Uh, uh, sorry about the the uh, the session number. It's, it's that HBS is the business school is really most interested. Uh, when I after I talked to uh, the, the fellows, they wanted to hear more about the business impact of this. So I, I assure you, we're not judging you by slide titles. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> so HBS stands for our business school. At any rate, they wanted to hear more about. It. And uh, basically, 
Um, I since you know, we talked last, I've still been advising a lot of businesses on strategy to know how to open safely. I've still been advising manufacturers on process acceleration, regulatory dynamics. Uh, as you know, I was working with USAID and a few other groups in, in other countries. I've, I've been consulting with about seven different countries, uh, national governments. Uh, I've done working with about six, 17, 17 18 states, uh, actually 19 now uh, states, uh, talking to them and how they're how they're going to reopen. I've worked at the U.S. federal level for, for quite a bit of time. I'm working at the e some, with a lot of the EU member states as well, some of the non-EU member states in Europe. Uh, and basically, uh, I told you last time I helped uh, on campaign areas. If you look at this map, I gave this to both of the, cam- uh, uh, the campaigns. Um, the response on, on, on the Biden administration uh, campaign was to actually you know, send, uh, to do a lot more remotely and focus on these states. The, result, the response of the, of the Trump campaign was, was to actually, uh, actually have a lot of um, rallies in these areas. That wasn't my initial intention, but you know, each, each of the campaigns did what they wanted uh, with the data. Uh, and then uh, I also have been helping Operation Warp Speed. I don't know if you know about OWS. Uh, have, you heard, have you heard about OWS? I think we talked a little mm-hmm. bit last time. But we've been working on that uh, on that group. And uh, some really important uh, data has come out of, uh, of some of that work. And I want to show some of it. Some of it is, is confidential and, and proprietary slash national security. So I can't tell you everything we know. But I try to. Have what <laughs> you I could tell us, but then you'd have to kill us. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, and I've been authorized to talk about stuff that's being presented, at least. And then I, I actually presented both campaigns. This was for uh, uh, for Senator Harris. Uh, the transitions, I think, are going to be necessary, regardless of who the administration is, in order to control the virus. So my notes on this is this is a really, really simplified you know, version, right? This gets really complicated. We'll go into some complex immunologic uh, concepts. We'll go into some complex uh, you know, logistics uh, and and uh, so if you're already expert in the area, I, I apologize in advance. It is a little oversimplified, but it, it, it's kind of made so that people understand what I'm, I'm I'm sure a lot of people on Facebook believe they are. Oh, they are? I, they experts. Are oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure because, I mean, everybody on – it's, it's amazing how many people on my friends list uh, were, you know, uh, constitutional experts back during the impeachment trial. Uh, then they became immunology experts uh, as soon as COVID broke. Uh, they've they've become um, electoral college experts. I actually try to work in the space that I claim expertise in. So I've actually actually been involved with a number of pandemics <laughs> and developed uh, 17 diagnostics and 27 drugs. So I, I know a little about about the space, and and but I'm sure people can contribute to it and have opinions about it. So I'd love to hear them. Uh, it is very still extremely early days. So everything I'm talking about now has basically been the result of press releases and not scientific journal articles. Uh, and uh, so that's that. And everything's been made public that I'm going to talk about. But it, maybe you'll, it'll be a different kind of point of view. All these opinions are mine, mine alone. Not, I mean, I'm not working with anybody when I release this data, except I do talk to my clients to make sure that's okay. And Please use all this material. I'll send it over to you, Dave. It'll be on my website, fredbrown.com, awesome. and just pick it up. So the, the agenda, right? We're going to talk about my predictions, how they looked, and that will you know, reflect back on what Bob had to say last time. Uh, we'll talk a little about the science. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about production operations management. If you enjoy that that work, we'll, we'll get into some of this in some detail. We'll talk about financial implications for Big Pharma. And then we'll talk about how we're going to get moved to normalcy, which I think we might actually be able to look at uh, with some hope. So with that... Here's the first piece. Bob said, gosh, Fred, I thought last time you talked to us, things looked pretty good. And uh, that wasn't exactly our recollection, but <laughs> <laughs> depends on how much, uh, how much you know you were, you were, you were focused on and how much you, you, know, uh, you wanted to look at some rose-colored glasses. Uh, but I, uh, basically, as you know, on 
I started my projections on March 23rd, right? I, I tuned in the model starting February 7th. I, marked, I, I then projected uh, March 23rd. And on March 23rd, I thought we'd have between 145 and 180,000 deaths. Uh, by September 1st, we actually had 184,629. I was a little bit low, but if you think about we, that, that we only had 700 deaths in March to project eight, 180,000, um, you know, was, was pretty aggressive at the time. You know, when I talked to other officials, you know, at WHO, at the World Bank, at a number of large banking organizations, for example, they all thought I was insane. But um, uh, frankly, a lot of us uh, had these kind of predictions uh, when we saw what was going on. Uh, especially after the Davos event, if you, if you went and attended Davos or watched some of that event, you realized that this was going to be pretty serious. And that that you know, we'll get back into that in a second. Then I then I know uh, 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 on last time I talked, Bob, uh, I actually thought we'd have about between two hundred thirty-eight thousand, two hundred fifty thousand deaths. We had two forty-five on November fourteenth, um, and that's uh, you know so I would write sort of I've been within two percent all the way along here, but sadly uh, I think we're going to have slightly over three hundred thousand. Uh, deaths by the end of the year, and we'll probably max out at about 3,000 a day. Um, it could oh. spike higher than that, uh, significantly higher. Uh, but but uh, if you look at you know uh, weekly averages, it'll be at that at that range through till about the middle uh, or so of January. Till about January 20th, uh, we'll have that kind of spike uh, on in deaths. Uh, I mean, I think I saw El Paso has set up 10 uh, basically boxcar portable morgues. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's getting bad. In fact, you know, in Missouri, they're transporting people to Iowa and South Dakota. They're transporting people uh, to uh, Montana because they just don't have any capacity left. And that's going to happen more and more. And, the, and what we're starting to see is the rural hospitals, the rural nursing homes. If you look at the, you know, if you look at the penetration of, of what's going on in those spaces, um, you know, we moved from a rural penetration of about 3% death rate uh, of those nursing homes and elderly, elderly to now over half of the, uh, of the deaths are occurring in those rural areas. So it really is everywhere. And that's, and the problem with the rural areas is they don't have the capacity. To, they don't have the infrastructure, yeah. Yeah, you know, you talk about 25-bit hospitals with no isolation capabilities, you know, uh, single uh, uh, single hallway environments that they can't uh, separate the uh, COVID, deaths, uh, COVID uh, cases from the rest of the hospital. Those are the kind of hospitals that are going to have a lot of challenges. So um, that's what that's what the death rate looks like. Death rates are harder to predict. Uh, you know, here you can see what my what the reality was versus I, I actually copied my 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 curve over the chart and mm-hmm. you can see. You know, it's, it's reasonably close. Uh, and uh, basically, I said 100,000 deaths. We had 98,000 deaths. I, had, I said uh, on that was October 30th. That was my projection. Um, uh, so already back in March, I said in, in September when we talked last, when I started this other uh, uh, this new forecast, 150. We we're at 153. So you know, it's sort of within two percent. And that's sort of what we're going to look like. Look like uh, sadly, you know, through into in, into January, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll be at peaking peaking that at that point. And we had some economic projections also, and, and what was interesting about that was, you know, uh, Larry Larry Summers, who was one of the great economists, he's been most president of Harvard for a number of years, and then uh, is still there uh, and has a whole, whole bunch of graduate students he can kind of stick on this. Uh, in, in March, I, my projections were this was going to cost us $17.2 trillion in our economy over the, you know, based on death rate projected through September 1st, uh, and Larry said it was... Uh, 
So I was like, you know, within ten, within nine yeah. percent of his numbers, which isn't bad. He's a pretty smart guy, so I was pretty happy about that. We have used all the same. Interestingly, we use the same uh, assumptions, uh, uh, which is sort of fun to watch. So at any rate, uh, economically, uh, if people said we couldn't predict it, yeah, we really could. And if they said we really couldn't predict the health, yeah, we really could. It wasn't that wasn't the problem. The problem was we didn't respond to it like like we probably should have. And here's the different responses that we talked about. Remember, we talked about getting lucky, mm-hmm. brutal. Or the marathon, and initially, and I made a mistake here. I, I, I thought in April twentieth, there's, you know, you don't want to really bet that you're going to get lucky. You know, it's sort of like saying, you know, I'm going to go and and bet the lottery and quit my job. You know, uh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> but that's <laughs> True. what we did. And you know what? It, pay, it it looks like it's going to pay off, you guys. I mean, I, it, it's it's remarkable. But you know, we quit our job. We're waiting for the lottery ticket to hit, and we're getting closer and closer. In fact, with Moderna's. Uh, announcement today, I think there's almost, I, I would raise this now, this was based on Pfizer's results, I'd raise this to 90% at this point, believe it or not. I think we're, there's a 90% chance we're going to have, you know, between one and eight vaccines by the middle of next year. Uh, for, well, let me make that fall of next year. Uh, and we should have two vaccines by the end of this year, and we should have four to five vaccines by the by April of next year. And uh uh, I was not, I did not think that was going to happen. I, as you saw, I thought most of what we were going to be doing was doing a little bit of hoping to get lucky, and most of it was going to be let's plan for that marathon event that we're going to, we're really going to try to control this, we're going to measure it, we're going to put in new systems, um, and if we do that, we'll only have 650,000 deaths. We'll let this whole thing run uh, wild. It'll probably have 2.2 million deaths. But now we're right now we're on a path of only 500,000 deaths uh, through the end of next year, and that's uh, that's that's better than I thought we were going to be. So curiosity and, and, and just for yeah. for folks. So when you you know you say, you know, up to as many as eight different vaccines, like so what does that mean to me sitting at home? Like is is one going to be better than the other? Are they just different brand names of the same thing? Is it like, you know, the 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 frosted flakes versus whatever you know Aldi brand is out there? <laughs> like, we'll, we'll, we'll go into that in okay. a lot of detail. Actually, I promise. Okay, that's really what I, why I want to get you know get everyone in front of this because we're, we're going to have to study this stuff and, and watch it as it comes in, right? Um, and so what what I've done is I've created scenarios, and so you'll see that this looks like a very good scenario overall, and that's because we are in the get lucky overall scenario. It is not we're not talking about black swan events. We're talking about if we're in the scenario, this is what we're going to look like. And some people will say, "Gosh, can you kind of mix the scenarios?" And the answer is yes, we can. But I wanted to kind of run the data quickly and say, "Okay, let's say that everything is coming up roses. What does get lucky look like really?" And you'll see that these are results of getting lucky really, and uh, and. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, that, with that caveat, let's take a look at this. The reason that I didn't, uh, that I, I didn't bet on, uh, on getting lucky is because it requires something. It requires uh, that we have an actual revolution in the science. And I didn't want to bet on that. We had I remember that conversation, yeah. <laughs> we had some suggestive evidence that we really were undergoing a revolution. Um, and this is literally the kind of revolution that we're seeing. And we'll, and we'll talk a little bit about that. You know, we're talking about atomic bomb level uh, 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 we're talking about ato- uh, uh, you know nuclear energy we're talking about winning the space race and getting to the moon first we're talking about that level of bet that we made and paid off on um, if you th- you know and, and that's remarkable these synthetic vaccine capabilities are going to just change the way that we fundamentally uh, 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 respond to 
outbreaks in the future. It bodes extremely well for, you know, COVID-22, COVID-24, COVID-26, if we have that kind of a sequence of, of events uh, that says we're going to be able to respond again to a, uh, to a, a super virus like this, uh, which, uh, you know, back in April, I was worried that we wouldn't be able to. And with this kind of technology, and we'll talk a little bit about what that technology is uh, in a second, uh, this really is a fundamental change in the way we develop vaccines and the way we treat diseases, a whole number of diseases, not just not just infectious diseases. We're talking about cancers, we're talking about protein deficiencies that you're, that you're born with, uh, you know, uh, uh, like, like for, for, for example, uh, cystic fibrosis. Uh, uh, we're talking about new antibiotic capability. We're talking about carbohydrates, uh, be able to, uh, you know, change the way we do our, car- our carbohydrate lipid metabolism in our body, uh, which has, you know, which is remarkable. Um, and so we bet, we bet really three things on betting, betting at all and getting lucky. First, that we can vastly ex- expand the vaccine sweet spot. We'll talk about that. We, we bet that we can completely change the process. We, we select our lead compounds in research, and we we bet that the regulatory authorities would allow us to completely change uh, the way that uh, we develop our drugs. Other than that, we didn't bet for much. <laughs> we weren't expecting too much on the deal. So that's why I didn't say 80% coming out, but now that we're starting to see some of this pay off, we're talking about one of these really rare events in our lifetime. Uh, and, you know, gosh, we're right in the middle of it. And if we can make the logistics work, which we'll talk about in Operation Warp Speed in a little while, uh, we're going to save a lot of lives as a result of this bet. So, you know, hats off to Monsef Slawi, who saw this, and I didn't. Uh, you know, hats off to Trump, who saw who, who was well, well advised, obviously, in, some, in certain areas, because he bet on this, and I didn't think we were going to pull it off, and, and you know, we did. And uh, interestingly, the, the Chinese didn't bet on this either, uh, initially. Uh, so that was the one area that we were really ahead of them on, and, and they have caught up because they've gone ahead and invested in this technology. They, they have access to the Pfizer technology now, uh, but initially they didn't, and we'll talk about that a little bit too. So at any rate, um, let's talk about, a little bit about expanding the vaccine sweet spot. Basically, we have a lot of trouble uh, getting vaccines with our traditional technologies, getting vaccines for uh, certain kinds of viruses. And those are the viruses that you see on the far left-hand side. Basically, if they are very short incubation periods, uh, we have trouble catching up with them, right? Because they incubate and establish themselves so fast in our body that our body doesn't have a chance to respond fast enough. Now, the vaccine is supposed to up uh, our ability to respond rapidly. And that happens, you know, with, with rubella, with mumps, measles, we actually push our immune systems a little bit and they respond fast enough to catch up with the virus and kill it off before it actually establishes itself. With with all the MERS, all the coronaviruses to date, with the flu, uh, with rhinoviruses, we're not able to catch catch it fast enough, and so it establishes itself and takes off. This technology, the synthetic, what it does, it actually, we take a little piece of the virus, not the whole virus, and in this case, it's all the spike protein. We put it into uh, a, a transport uh, platform, either an identifier or lots of lipids. We surround it. And then we inject it into the body. And it doesn't have enough of the virus left to be virulent, but it has enough of the virus for our immune system to say, hey, wait a minute, that's something that's foreign. I'm going to go and kill it. And, and in this case, the spike virus is highly conserved, so it really needs, the virus really needs it to work. And so by having something that recognizes just that spike virus, we're able to kill off the virus for it to establish it. And interestingly, what we do in this case is we actually engage the machinery that bacteria and viruses themselves engage in our own cells. So we're able to go as fast as they are for the very first time, uh, if that makes sense. Yep. What's, 
And so basically, we've, we've broadened that sweet spot out. Now we're t- we wait and see. The other thing that viruses do is they hide. You know, they, they, they move fast enough mutation-wise. They change our sheath coats fast enough that they, we can't find them. Our immune system can't find them. And slowly but surely, even though it takes a long time uh, to establish themselves, they'll get established. And that's HIV, that's AIDS, malaria, uh, that's HCV, uh, cytomegalovirus. Those, those viruses we still can't control very well. Uh, but... Um, we're getting there, and between good chemistry and good genetic technology, we may be able to call this color this entire graph green in, in a few years, which would be remarkable. So <laughs> that's that's what we bet. That's the sweet spot, right? We're expanding that sweet spot out. We've done that. Step two. So the other next bet we made was <laughs> not only can we do this, we can do this repetitively, consistently, um, and we can do this so fast that uh, we're going to change the way we do R&D. And back in the day when I was doing a, a vaccine work, we isolated the virus, we cultivated the virus, we identified leads from that virus, we optimized those leads, we attenuated the leads, right? And slowly but surely, we actually got something. That that took, you know, four, five, ten years uh, before we even got into, you know, preclinical development, testing animals, then testing people. Believe it or not, Moderna, once the genetic code of uh, this virus, uh, COVID, was, 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 was published... They had their lead in one day. <laughs> they went from five years Yikes. to one day. Because all they had to do was say, what are the ones that we want to... And, 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 and you know, at, at University of California, San Francisco, they published very rapidly, about 26 days later, they said, here are all the, spike, here are all the proteins you want to use for vaccines. Here are all the proteins we can go after uh, with regard to medicines that were other on the shelf. Well, Moderna knew what they had, right? They said, we got this, we got this lipid technology. We're going to put this gene into the lipid technology that took them one day to do they announced it and they they were they were in people in 44 days they were in people and we're not even talking about you know mice we're not talking about, they went right to people in 44 days and in the case of moderna 200 days later they had signed uh not only they, they had signed 1.9 million dollar a billion dollar deal uh in in uh, you know in in january they signed a two billion uh, and then they added another billion dollars to that deal uh, to 213 days later, uh, sometimes they're calling in like June. That's how fast it went, right? And you're talking about deals that normally, back in the day when Big Pharma, you know, we were doing deals, with, hey, we finally got something, we're in phase 2B, it's been eight, nine years, things are looking pretty good, what do you guys think? I said, well, we have to think about it a little bit longer. Now we're talking about 244 days <laughs> and do a deal. So that's remarkable, right? How's that going to change the industry, Fred? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, is it going to open up new players? Is it, you know? Well, Moderna's a brand new player, right? Basically, Moderna was started by a company called, by, by, by a venture capitalist uh, uh, called Flagship about eight, eight years ago, I think. And they said, you know, we really want to change the way we do, um, uh, what, what we develop drugs. We're going to, you know, insert these genes into the drugs, uh, in, into these platforms, and it'll, you know, change the way we, we the way we work with cancer because we'll be able to shift the tumor genes over uh, uh, and be able to, you know, uh, fight them and uh, you know observe them and fight them. And so that was that was Moderna's kind of uh, raison d'etre, and and they they uh, they went from there. What's interesting is if you think about it, Johnson and Johnson's working with a little company called BioNTech, right? Uh, they're a little company, 130 people. It, it wasn't Pfizer's. Uh, Pfizer had the capacity. They had they had some capability uh, to ma- manufacture, but they had to go around and look and find you know which companies out there, which small companies out there that has what we think is the best uh, the, the the best antigen put into our our platform. And they found BioNTech. So it isn't um, 
you know, uh, some of the small companies really paid off. Novavax, smaller company again, they've never developed a, a, a manufactured vaccine. They, they, they actually went out to Takeda and they said, yeah, you know, you want to help us out? And they said, Takeda said, yeah, sign us up. You know, we, if you got the right thing, well, you know, they, they were smart. They, you know, Rajiv, who runs that operation, who I, you know, worked with for a long time, great guy. He said, yeah, you know, I'm in it. I'm in. Count me in. You know, and 65 days later, after they, they tested a few 65 people, uh, the U.S. government put in $1.6 billion. And usually we have, to, we have to test tens of thousands of people to get that kind of deal done, right? And in this case, you know, here's the number of deal people. 52 people looked at, actually were injected with BioNTech's uh, drug, and we signed up for $2 billion. <laughs> is, so, I mean, I, I guess, is there a downside to that? Well, you know, when we first developed jet airplanes, and we said, gosh, you know, now it takes us, New York, London, used to take us, you know, 10 hours, and you had to stop, and you had to sort of catch your breath in Ireland, and then do the rest right. of the in Greenland. And now, when, when the jet airplane came out, they said, we can do it in, you know, five hours. He said, ah, it's a little bit fast. I'm not really sure about to do that. And, you know, it took a little bit of time for people to get used to that new speed. And now, where we're used to it, we love it, right? But... Back in the day, there was some. There is some speed. The answer to your question, actually, uh, seriously, is the, that um, it. It um, we did cut some corners, and we'll talk about how we cut those corners. Um, uh, you know, during the course, what we did is we basically relied on what was in uh, our biggest companies' coffers already. Um, we didn't look for the absolute best solution. We looked at a solution that we could get out rapidly. Um, and so there probably are some vaccines that have been left on the table that would be slightly better than what we got because, you know, we only, we only took, you know, literally 60 days to make a selection of everything that was out there. So there is a, a you know, a slight risk that we will, that we'll sub-optimize and that we won't have found the very best option for us on round one. But I'll tell you, 90, 90%, 94%. That's uh, not terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I've been working in this space for 40 years, and I've, I, 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 you know, I've, I, I worked on one vaccine, had 90% efficacy. Everything else had, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80% initially. So that's, it's just off the charts, really. It's really remarkable. Um, the next big area, though, that we, that we bet on. So then we said, okay, fine. Now we go from preclinical into clinical. And what we bet on clinical was, you know, let's go ahead and use that money the U.S. government gave us and, and manufacture all the stuff before we even know if it works in, in human beings or not. That's, that's a big bet, right? We're talking about 30, 40. You know, yeah, it's a hell of a gamble. Right. Now, if you don't have the scale, up, that's how much you're paying. And then we're going to go through all these phases of, of clinical trial work, and we're going to do so much in parallel. You saw most of the stuff I said, you know, most of the these trials were designed as phase one, phase one B, Phase two A, two B, and then it said phase one two, phase two three. That's because they carried those 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 subjects on into the next trial phase, so they had as much uh, data about how how safe it was for how long. You'll see that's an important factor um, collected uh, with their limited number of subjects that they used uh, in order to get to the next endpoint. So these trials were very carefully designed to be as efficient as possible. If you look at uh, Pfizer's design, every 32 patients that uh, come down with a disease, uh, they can demonstrate statistically significant efficacy uh, at the level they were expecting. So they designed it absolutely you know, right to the edge of, of statistical significance for every phase of the trial. And, and it, 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 it caught them a little bit because the FDA changed the rules up just, just the last minute. They said, oh, by the way, we don't want one month of safety. Let's just do two. And they went, what? 
after that, you know, that's so right. They did surprise them there. We'll talk about why they did that in a second. But but basically, these trials were incredibly brilliantly designed you know, for statistics, for demonstrating the absolute minimum clinical endpoint. For example, uh, uh, on, on the efficacy side, you'll see, and we'll talk about why that could hurt us in a second. That did hurt us, and, and we'll talk about why uh, in a little bit. And then, uh, and, and with safety, we will lose uh, some specificity uh, and some sensitivity in the trial. But basically, uh, they they did just enough to get through the hurdles that the FDA established as fast as they possibly could to get to market first. And there's some reasons that you want to get to market first, and we'll talk about as well toward the end. Um, but basically, the FDA changed a lot of the rules. They said, go ahead. Uh, you, you don't have to. Uh, first of all, they said, None of this cultured virus stuff. You know, there's one lab in the whole United States can really deal with the, 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 the cultured viruses at this level, with this level of exposure. It's, the, they're, they're, it's one that's owned by the Department of Defense, as I recall, and that's it. You know, so don't do any cultured virus work. Let's work just for the genetic vaccines. That limited our technology, so we went right down this, the, to, the, to the very tightest piece of technology. We really... In other words, we doubled down on this bet early on, again and again and again, <laughs> and we were hitting it. So you know, can't 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 disagree, can't disagree with it. We allowed companies to overlap all the clinical phasing, right? And you said, go ahead, you know, test for uh, test for wealth, test for healthy patients, which is phase one. Then go ahead and go into you know people who are more affected. That's phase two. Then they allowed to combine those things. They were able to get more clinical statistical significance. They used EUA, so this emergency use. We hadn't really used emergency use for an awful long time. Very very rarely. This time we we opened up and, and did it quite broadly. Uh, we fast-tracked the, the approvals. We, we also limited their liability uh, right up front as uh, on the government. If people had trouble with the disease uh, because we went too fast. That was the government's that was that was on us, the U.S. government, uh, versus not and not 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 wouldn't it get back to, for example, J and J or any others who were involved in this operation. Warp Speed offered money and they offered pre-order. They said, "Well, you know, we're going to buy a hundred million of those doses right now." Uh, you know. Sign us up. If it gets FDA approved, you've got you've got a hundred million order on day one. So remarkable amounts of incentives, thinking through exactly what was going to happen. You know, well designed, well executed uh, 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 on the administration's part. Really, really, really great job. And of course, companies seizing the opportunity. They, they 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 said we got some stuff. We can try it out. It may or may not work. It's not been tested on more than three hundred people, <laughs> or it's not been you know it's not really used more than four hundred times right. a year. But let's try it out. And they scaled all the production and advanced all the clinical trials, which is unheard of, right? You usually start in the laboratory, give a little piece out. And then this time we had big manufacturing operations already gone. And um, they licensed in products. And that's uh, the very sample Pfizer. And, and Merck, Merck is doing that. They've had, they bought two companies to actually license in the, the, vac, the, the, the antigen they're interested in uh, and, and so on. So that's what happens uh, with the clinical scale. up. And so we have... BUNTech, uh, the 162 uh, B2 uh, vaccine, they, they actually were still testing. <laughs> the reason we only have 52 people, uh, they were actually looking at four different kinds of viruses <laughs> to put into their vector. Uh, not, it's not a vector, it's a lipid, lipid molecule. Um, uh, 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 up until like June. And then uh, two days later, the government said, we, this, is our, this is the one we like best. And the government said, here's, you know, here's, a, here's a billion bucks. Go ahead, go, go, go for it faster, further. And they said, yeah, we'll do that. The press release said basically 90% fewer self-identified and diagnosis cases in the vaccine in the vaccine trial cohort versus the versus the one that got the placebo. That's huge. Now, don't forget we're 
we're at patient number 94 who said, we I, I got sick. They're going to go to 164. So if you do all the math, it, and, and we're super unlucky. We were super lucky on the first round and super unlucky on the second round. So everyone who got vaccinated now suddenly has a COVID. It could be as low as 50% efficacy, 47.5% efficacy. But it could be that nobody that nobody in, 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 who got vaccinated, or in other words, 100% uh, efficacy could also be true. So that's the range of what we know based on the press release. That's all we have to date. Uh, it's unfortunate. They didn't receive, re, uh, release any scientific data. And they, they didn't do that because it, it wouldn't have been smart, right? They, they, you you want to be able to get enough data um, uh, in order to prove statistical significance without any question. If they'd, re- if they'd opened up all the data and made it all available to us who were really interested, they would have hurt the statistical power of the, uh, of the trial. So they didn't do that, and that was smart. And my guess is they may not do that when we get to 164 either, because they want to look at longer term, and you'll see why in a second, uh, especially longer term safety. Um, so they, they, we may not know for you know two or three months um, uh, if, we're, if they decide, if the FDA said no, it's only us going to look at it. You can't look at it. Um, you know, that, that, that'll be because we're interested in the statistics for even even, even bigger populations. Um, but there's a whole bunch we don't know. We don't know about transmission reduction. We don't know about durability. We don't know about population differences. We don't know about how severe the, 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 the clamp down uh, of the symptoms was. And we don't know what the long haul effects are, uh, uh, impact of the, uh, of the virus are either. So there's a lot we there's more we don't know than what we do know. But what we do know is really positive. So let's take a look at and work with what we do know. Uh, you t- you asked earlier, David, about uh, uh, about um, the different technologies. Right. And this is a kind of an eye chart. Apologies. There are five basic technologies, and depending how you cut it, you could call it eight. You know, but but anyway, the, I, I call it five. And there's two basic kinds of things. There's the workhorses that we use today, and that's the attenuated virus and the inactivated virus, right? Those are using cultured viruses. We put them in the lab uh, and attenuated viruses. What you do, if you think about what what you've done with your flowering plants, you know, Back in the day, the flowering plants were sort of small and ugly, and we so slowly selected for them until they got more and more beautiful, right? And and they more and more and more different, you know, uh, types of plants that you can buy, and it's all exciting now. With the viruses, what we do is we start with something that's super potent, full virus, and we slowly find those viruses that are a little bit weaker, a little bit weaker, a little bit weaker, and slowly but surely we get what they call an attenuated uh, live virus. So it's still a live virus, but it's been super attenuated, so it's really sort of weak and floppy. And then right. we inject that in, and that doesn't give you, it's enough to give you a, an immune response, but isn't going to give you the disease. Well, there's a big risk in that, right? So suppose that that flop, big and floppy virus that you've worked on so long now replicates with a wild-type virus, right? And it, <laughs> it can bring you right back up in one generation to something that's super powerful again kills you. So that's the sort of downside of using an attenuated live virus. You can actually, sadly, um, you know, uh, if you don't maintain the quality, it can get either two weeks, you don't get anything, or it can get really strong um, uh, by mistake. And so right now, India is, believe it or not, in, well, India actually manufactures more vaccines than anybody, any other country in the world right now. And they wanted to kind of preserve their, uh, they wanted to preserve their their lead in that space. And so they said, we're, we're going to work on, on on the attenuated live virus because we've got a hell of a lot of uh, capability in the space. And so they are, we're the only big country, only big manufacturer to go after the attenuated live virus. The inactivated virus, what you do there is you actually have the virus, you culture it up, and then you kill it. 
And you either kill it with UV light or you kill it with heat and you denature some of those proteins, but hopefully those proteins are still there enough to be recognized by our body as being something that's foreign, being this virus. And, it, and that's how, that, that's what you, uh, that, that, that's what you use. Right? And it's, it's dead. Now, sometimes sadly we've had the, uh, sometimes we haven't attenuated enough or we haven't killed it enough and it comes back and it, and, and it, and it comes back with a vengeance. And that happened with the polio vaccine, called the cutter experience we had. That was, that was a problem. So at any rate, uh, it, it, sometimes it's too weak. It doesn't do anything for you because you've killed off too much of it. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it, it, uh, you haven't killed it enough and, uh, those can be bad events. But what we, this is by, this is most of what we use today. The cultured virus is most of what we use today to, uh, to, to, in our vaccines. It, it, these are our workhorses. And I was, and I was, I thought that we would have a couple of these new genetic vaccines that weren't quite perfect. They were, they had to manage them quite carefully. Um, and they, they were partially effective, but not quite good. And we'd have to wait until we got to the cultured attenuated viruses or, or the inactivated viruses uh, at scale and really have some power in, in, in the vaccine. I was wrong. You know, what, what we found that we have very effective uh, capabilities right in the genetic vaccine area. Uh, there was no way to predict this. We only, as I said, I mean, we don't, we don't use these that this 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 technology that much. It's not that much out there. Some of the viral vector uh, areas, we we have some uh, we have quite a bit of experience with, with Johnson and Johnson, but on DNA RNA, we we don't have one vaccine yet in that space uh, that that that's significant. Um, so you can see with DNA RNA, the problem with them is. They're really super fragile, right? It's a little piece of RNA. It barely, it barely holds together, you know, within the cell. Then you take it out of the cell, and it's got nothing. So you got to freeze it and have ultra cold, cold chains or even cryo level cold chains in order to keep it going. Uh, and the scalability, we didn't, we don't know. So that's the problem with DNA RNA. With vector viral vector proteins, the vector you actually, as you know, you take out, the, you use the vector. I say I'm a, a, I'm a virus. You can use the uh, measles vector. You can, uh, you can use. Uh, 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 other kinds of, uh, of vectors that have capability to penetrate a cell, and then you switch out the protein, you switch out the 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 the, uh, uh, the genetic component, right? And you, and that injects them what you want it to to inject, and then in this case, it's just the small part of the virus, not the whole virus, it's a little part of it, injects into you, and you manufacture those those proteins, and the body sees those continually, uh, and then uh, creates antibodies to those, so you're protected uh, from a from the real virus. Right. And the subunit spike protein, same thing. Again, note that we're talking about the same thing each time, just with a different transport mechanism, right? Right. So in each time, we have the spike protein. There's not much variability here. We're, we're, making, we're making a huge bet on the spike protein being antigenic, and we were lucky. We, it, pulled, it pulled out. And so Moderna and Pfizer, DNA, RNA, uh, I'm sorry, they use MR, messenger RNA, AstraZeneca, J&J, they use the viral vector, um, and in the future, you'll see uh, Novavax and Sanofi, uh, and those guys use the spike protein or, or viral-like proteins. That's that's the, the, the what the chart looks like. Note China, China in this space, they you know they've been a, ahead of us on the jump. They've had the jump on us from day one, right? They actually have they're probably in, in the best position right now. They've got you know three inactivated uh, proteins. They missed the uh, viruses. They missed the opportunity for genetic vaccines. They had to work with Pfizer and got into Pfizer through BioNTech uh, with um, with uh, with the with the with the viral vector. Um, uh, I, I'm sorry with the uh, with the messenger RNA technology. Uh, they have a viral vector vaccine that's in that's in military use. So they are. 
they're they're doing they're doing well compared to us. Um, and uh, Russia, interestingly, Russia Russia uh, actually used viral vector. They use both of them. But what we have we have an antivirus five, antivirus uh, They use both vectors, which is unheard of, right? You don't want to you know, you've got a chance of cross reactivity among the vectors. And they you know they they looked at fifty two patients, and apparently, according to their data, it was fascinating. They got great antigenic response, which you'd expect because they're using two different vectors. Right. Plus, they didn't get any cross-reactivity. So amazing stuff, right? A really amazing technology. So now we have these 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 vaccines, and the question is how good they are. So I, I got a quick question for you. Yeah. Oh, cool. Please, please. Um, yeah. When you say on, on that last slide you had uh, with the DNA RNA virus or the spike protein, um, extreme cold chain required, what, is, what does that mean? Ah, so, yeah, uh, the – the, the DNA RNA, um, uh, that means minus, for Pfizer, we're at a minus 70 degrees centigrade. That's minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> we're not talking about, you know, a chilly winter day. We're talking about, you know, you go out, uh, we're talking about Antarctica uh, wind chill factor, plus wind chill factor, right? I mean, it is really, really cold. And it's so cold that when you open up the freezer that it's in, you know, all that smoke comes out. Right. And you got little special hazmat suits. You got to co- cover yourself up with rubber gloves. You're talking about tongs, you know. And if you ca- keep that back, you keep that box open for more than one minute uh, and more than, and you do that more than twice a day, you've ruined the entire batch of vaccines. That's how cold it is. <laughs> okay, so you, so that's actually so then okay. So when you say like a, a a cold chain, so I mean it's it's got to be frozen at manufacturing. It's got to be transported that way. It's got to be stored that way. It's got to be okay. And you're and you're and you're measuring that. You're monitoring that every fifteen minutes. You know, am I having an, an excursion? Am I still in cold chain control? Because after, if if it, if it unfreezes, you're talking about the efficacy going down in a, in a matter of hours from ninety, you know, ninety percent to thirty percent. Wow! So you're going to have to waste that stuff uh, on a minus on a, on a on a two to four. So we we transport our stuff at a uh, 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 biologicals, for example, uh, usually get transported at two to four degrees. So just over the freezing, right? Zero is freezing. So right. Um, and we trans, we trans, they can't freeze. They can't get too hot. It'll be right in the middle. Uh, and when we do, when we have to create, when we have to control at that level, we, we have about a, we have about 20% wastage. So minus 70, you can imagine what the wastage hmm. looks like. I mean, and that's why I was losing sleep, right? Cause I, I had, we were trying to figure out how are we going to transport Pfizer stuff? Jeez, you know, and Pfizer said, we'll take care of it. We got it. But the, the truth is it, they got it to a certain extent say to a big warehouse, but after that, it's got to go to all these other groups. They have to split up the vaccines, the vials. They don't have much time to do that. It's a challenge. It's going to be a huge challenge. Now with Moderna, Moderna's only minus 20. That's 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 dry ice. Believe it or not, we need so much dry ice, we're not going to have enough. <laughs> so that'll be, that'll be the next shortage that hits us? <laughs> a freaking shortage of dry ice. I mean, <laughs> you know, you talk about, uh, yeah, we'll talk about some of the shortage problems. Got the dry ice is one that I did not expect. Now we got a shortage of dry ice. So, but but having said that, you know, uh, it's a lot easier at minus twenty than minus seventy. <laughs> I mean, it just uh, orders of magnitude easier. Uh, but yeah, so that that's that's how cold it is. Okay, it's so cold you breathe on this stuff, and your your breath will will freeze, and it'll tinkle on the stuff that it, it, the, the, the the condensation in your breath will, will freeze before it's ground from you. That's how cold it is. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's uh. It's so it's a. Uh, you know, uh, if you're in a lab like this and you make a mistake with 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 this with that is this cold, you get in, you have you have major problems. Oh yeah.
Uh, so at any rate, um, here are the different ways we evaluate the vaccines. And we'll, let's go into this in some detail, because I think that, you know, people will have to make a decision. Which one should I take? When should I take it? And the way we look at it is effectiveness. We look at safety. We look at durability and we look at scalability. And, and, and we've read out on one of the points now to a little bit of an extent. We know 90 percent seems to be about right. Uh, uh, it looks like twice. And I was hearing early results, uh, as I said, from other countries uh, that was getting in the in the low uh, 77, 80 percent uh, for other technologies. So we seem to be having we're, we're probably going to have a pretty effective vaccine. Question is, is it safe? How long does it last once you inject it? And can we can we get can we make enough of it uh, so that you know we we can we can immunize literally five to six billion people six point two billion yeah we've yeah we've talked about that challenge you know before yeah and and, we'll, and now we'll have a little more detail <laughs> so here's here's now here's effectiveness and and um, so what I what I did is I decided to run some numbers for you guys and uh, the first thing to understand is that the they. they the Pfizer and the, and the other companies are going to select a clinical, what they call a clinical endpoint. And it says, you know, this is how much, this is how, and against that metric, they're going to measure how good their vaccine is. And so on the bottom, I've got some, some metrics that we could choose, right? It says reduce mild symptoms. You know, if you've got a cough and chills and vomiting or diarrhea, that that's a mild symptom. You know, it, it, uh, it, it, it's great that you got rid of you've moved from something that feels more like the flu to the sniffles, but it's not, you know, it's a mild symptom. Right. Uh, on the other, on the other hand, you could actually review, reduce severe symptoms or the timing of severe, uh, severe symptoms or the mag, either the magnitude, how long they last. Uh, and that's, that's a much more significant clinical endpoint. And that, cause that actually lowers mortality rate. It reduces how much time, how much people, how many people have to go to the hospital. And that's a big, that's a big endpoint. Unfortunately, in order to go fast, what we did is we said we want to look at mild symptoms. Anyone has a symptom that's good enough for us, we're going to check it out. And if they, if they're, if if if, if we stop that mild symptom, that's enough for us. That's that that counts as efficacy. So when I first saw the Pfizer stuff, they didn't tell me how many were severe uh, uh, symptoms they had stopped. Right? They only said over ninety percent, ninety four total sample size. So I thought, okay, they probably had about eighty six, maybe maybe even maybe even all ninety four had some symptom reduction. But what the heck were the symptoms? Was it just, you know, the sniffles? Or what, was it the symptoms of the guys having, you know, cardiac, cardiac arrest? Yeah, could, uh, could this have just been cured with aspirin? Yeah. <laughs> so there was, no, there was nothing there. Now, Moderna said more. They said, we uh, checked, I, I think, was it 92? And, uh, and of those, 11 had severe symptoms. And if you look at their protocol, severe symptoms, you know, that means, you know, drop in oxygenation, means, you know, uh, organ failure. Those are, those are big symptoms. So we're talking about, wow, you know, we got, we got rid of some big symptoms. So that, that was really, really exciting. So it looks like we may even have something very good for, uh, for lowering the, 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 the actual death rate. What we don't have a not test for and no one is testing for is whether it reduces transmission. And this is disappointing because transmission is much more effective. Uh, when you talk about lowering death rate, you're talking about something that goes linearly, right? When you're talking about lowering transmission, you're talking about something that a lower that that, that reduces uh, uh, exponentially. Uh, and here's the example, right? Suppose you've got two factors you're working at. One is the was it, is a transmission rate. That's the R rate. We always talk about that, right? If R is like three, which is about probably what what, what it is for coronavirus, uh, then after ten generations, you're going to have about a hundred thousand infections from that from that first from that first uh, from that first infection. 
right? If and, and then we say, okay, fine, we've got 100,000 people who got infected. Now, now suppose we have this great vaccine that actually reduces uh, the fatality rate, the, uh, so the infection fatality rate from from one percent to zero point five percent. Well, then you're going to go from a thousand deaths to five hundred deaths, right? That's a fifty percent reduction. That's great. We go, we've saved five hundred that, people. That's a good number, yeah. It's a great number, right? But if we if we now let's take a look at transmission. If we reduced transmission by fifty percent and didn't change the fatality rate, right? Transmission, but not but 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 not symptom. Then, after ten generations, instead of a hundred thousand infections, we would have only had twenty eight hundred. And then you say, fine, we keep the same death rate, one percent death rate. All of a sudden, you're down to twenty eight deaths. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's one percent right? of a lower number. Yeah, one percent of twenty eight hundred hundred is twenty eight people. That's a ninety seven percent reduction. So you, you can so these endpoints that people talk about these are huge. They're really really important. <laughs> <laughs> if you're talking about reducing the rate of general transmission at an individual level, that's the one you want. Uh, if you don't talk about the rate of, rate of death, you know, then you probably want to think it over. What's the chance I'm going to go to the hospital? I'm in pretty good shape. You want to take the risk of having to, you know, and so on. Uh, but if you're talking about transmission, you're talking about a big run number. Now, here's what it looks like at a population. That's what an individual has to think about. Here's what it looks like at a population level. Uh, so we ran the numbers using Monte Carlo simulation. Uh, this is both, them, you know, and, and, and these are, so these are pretty good numbers. Uh, we're using a large number of data sets for running the, the, the numbers many, many times. And here's what it comes out to be. So uh, if you have no vaccine, that's an RT of, of one point. In this case, we used a number of 1.2, uh, which is actually what the RT level is today in the country. If you look at every state and you can go to a, a, a website called uh, RT Live, uh, and they will tell you, you know, uh, in your state, you've got a, you've got an RT uh, effective, uh, uh, effective uh, reproductive rate of one percent, two percent. Right now in Michigan, we're at, we're at one point two. So this is a good number. You know, it's sort of reflective of where we're at. So notice what we have is today we're at, we're between one thousand and fifteen hundred deaths a day. Right, we're fifteen hundred mm-hmm. so across the country. My, my projection was that early January we're going to be at around three thousand. That's a lot of that's a lot more deaths, and then because because we're getting lucky, we're going to start going going down that slope, right? So the scenario is consistent, and now we're going to introduce vaccines. So what does that look like? And the answer is, if you've got a reduction in transmission, it sort of follows along pretty closely. But and you can see what I've done is I here's the cumulated uh, vaccinated population. This is actually what Operation Warp Speed is projecting they would be able to do with just the Pfizer vaccine. Now that we have the Moderna vaccine in addition, we may be able to increase the speed uh, of vaccination. We'll have to look at that. You'll see why in a, in a little bit. But if we were at 20 million vaccinated to 102 million vaccinated to 195 million vaccinated, by the time you get to like 200 million vaccinated, you're talking about getting pretty close to herd immunity. When you get over, you know, 250, 260, then you are at herd immunity and, and the virus dies. And this is happening. You can start to see the separation, the, the gray line, the purple line, and the blue line. You see mm-hmm. the separation that's occurring there. So by the time you get to April of 2022, if you vaccinated that many people, you don't have the, you know, you've literally uh, killed off most of the virus. Um, now, if you if you only have a fifty percent, that, that 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 purple line is a fifty percent effective in, in reduction of transmission. Uh, that's the one, that's the only the scenario that we looked at well, from one hundred thousand infected to twenty eight hundred. Then we get to six hundred and twenty five deaths. And if we have none of that, if we just do what we're doing today with just the way we're working with our masks and our uh, and uh, uh, and uh, messing uh, around like we are, yeah, 
yeah, then we're going to be about 1,200. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't go away. <laughs> it keeps going until you can't find anyone anymore who's not, who doesn't have some antibodies on. So that's what happens. And you can see that this reduction in transmission is significant. If it's, if it's really there, well, we won't know it, sadly, because we haven't tested for it. It requires actually testing people, uh, testing a whole cohort of people every every day to see whether they're getting, whether they've got a transmitted virus and if they have, you know, how fast to transmit it and who else they are able to transmit to. And it requires, you know, quite a bit more control than we do it and it's more, more expensive and it's slower. So we didn't do that test. But if we had, we'd see it. We'll see that effect anyway, based on the data, right? We If we see an inflection point where there's a huge separation between the fact the vaccine uh, and no and no and 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 and, and no vaccine uh, that that'll happen in November. So if we see a big inflection point in November. We we know that uh, that we've got a vaccine that's impacting transmission. So I guess uh, question here because you know like <laughs> like when we because every time we've talked before you know we we have we've, we you know you've we've you've been pretty consistent with you know vaccines available you know late spring you know in, into the summer you know into the fall of next year. Yeah. So one of the things that I that kind of jumped out at me from the press release that Pfizer did um, was that they're still planning on tracking these groups for two more years. Yes. Um, because of, you know, let, let's, you know, sometimes there are side effects from things and sometimes they don't show up right away. So, I, I mean, like, I guess that's the other part of this is when do we know that it's safe to go ahead and and get these things like you know i mean you you know me i'm not one of the oh, i ain't getting no vaccine with a yeah. microchip yeah. but <laughs> i'll talk about safety in a second okay and you'll see where we're we're at and you can make a decision so the 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 uh what's interesting about the efficacy question is that here's what happens if we turns out we don't have something that affects transmission, but we do have something that's demonstrated we do have, and that's symptomology, right? Um, that it matters how much disease severity you stop and how much. Uh, and, and, and so if you have a 50% reduction in symptoms that are severe, you can see that, uh, the, again, the purple line is what happens. We're down by about a third. And if we were talking about a 90% reduction in symptoms, we're down to 481. Um, and, uh, and, and so again, we're, you know, it's between one third and two thirds, but we're not getting rid of the, we're not getting rid of the virus, right? Well, yeah, because I mean, I mean, at this point, you're basically just turning people into asymptomatic carriers. That's right. That's, and that can be dangerous. Yeah. Right? I feel fine. Therefore, I'm going out. I feel fine. Therefore, I'm going out or I don't feel that bad. And the virus keeps reproducing and producing and reproducing. And it slowly but surely gets gets resistant against the the, the vaccine. Right. Or actually likes the vaccine's environment. It actually I call it vaccine enhancement. And all of a sudden, you get a much more powerful superbug <laughs> that's out there that you can't control. So yeah, it, and it then actually, it goes and lives in Bob's knees again, like all superbugs do. <laughs> that's right. So this is the this is the issue. So um, now um, the next big area you asked about was safety, um, and safety. Oh, uh, there, uh, one more thing, and that—that's that, the dosing and roots administration. They, these do make a difference. Johnson Johnson is going to come out with a vaccine if they—if they're successful, uh, probably in—in uh, in, uh, kind of early February timeframe, February first timeframe, uh, and that only will require one dose. So if you're early on in the vaccine, you only require one dose for immunogenicity. You don't have to wait 28 days, 35 days, which is what you'd have to wait for Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer, you need to wait 28 days, and until you get a lot of immunogenicity, and uh, for uh, for um, uh, Moderna, it's actually 35 days. 
Uh, in the case of J&J, you, you get one shot and seven days later, you're ready to go. So that's a significant reduction in the, in the early days of, of vaccine control of a, of a virus. And you want to get of that those, those single doses out as fast as you can, because not only does it in, impact the speed at which you're going to impact the virus, it also doubles your capacity, right? If you've got to use two of the, those doses of Moderna, you only need one of the J&J ones. You're talking about a lot more capacity to vaccinate people and you get a lot better adherence because it turns out that we're not very good at coming back for our booster shots. <laughs> Even me. You don't say. <laughs> it's a problem. I'm, I'm yeah. stunned. The, the nation that's proven that it can't even wear a mask it w- would have trouble coming back for a booster shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sadly. So for symptom-reducing vaccine, basically the speed of which you have a Single dose or double dose can, can impact uh, death rates by about 20%. And if you can get a transmission blocking vaccine, uh, it can drive herd immunity speed by 10 to 20%. That, and that's really where you want to be. Um, so that, that, you know, eventually the double doses do catch up with the single dose uh, over time, but it takes a few months. You can see in this case, it takes about four or five months. Uh, the other big issue is routes of administration. You know, what we found in animal models, and the, our best models for, the, for COVID are, are macaques. They're, they're, they're you know, human primates, uh, non, non-human primates, excuse me. And, they, and basically what we found was that we had a lot of trouble with, uh, with intermuscular injections in terms of immunogenicity uh, and, and getting an immune response. We were able to get an immune response in uh, the nose, which is important. But the other place the virus attacks is the lungs. And we were very, it was very hard for us to get upper respiratory impact. Uh, and what it turned out that misting and, and, and nasal sprays do a lot better job of getting into the lungs. And it's harder to control the dose because everyone inhales a bit differently. And yeah, you make, and the, and the, and the, you know, spritz is, is some, you right. Know, it's, it's a complicated dosing mechanism. Trust me. I did a lot of work in asthma. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> You had to get just the right amount, and you had to inhale just the right amount, and you had to get just enough right amount of powder, and all that stuff. It, it starts to get complicated. But we, we we now know how to do that. We've got a, a flu vaccine uh, that does that goes through mists, uh, mist, uh, misting capability, and we did this with COVID, and it turns out that you, you do get that response in the, in, in the lungs, which is great. And, of course, the more flexible, you, the more options you got, the, the better chance you get to be flexible and then choose different routes of administration for different people for different uh, with different ingredients. And you got a lot more capability, a lot more flexibility, a lot more response. You can have. So that's, that's what dosing looks so like. So what, what I'm hearing is just set up misting tents like they have at raves and, right. and, and, and yeah. send everybody through them and we'll be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, either that or, or you just sort of, sort of bend over and walk through a tent. Right. <laughs> Come out the other side and, uh, yeah, those are the those are the options. Yep, exactly. So, but you asked about safety, and safety is really critical. And so, let's take a look at that. We uh, basically safety is all about signal detection. You want to be able to determine very faint signals about whether or not something's you know you're getting a, a you know an adverse event or not. And the adverse event, you're really interested in two things. The first thing is how serious is it? One bad adverse event can shut down a whole trial. Remember that? Remember when when AstraZeneca was shut down for like six weeks? Mm-hmm. That's because they had one bad adverse event. And remember, with adenovirus, we were worried about what they call uh, ADE, which is antibody-dependent uh, enhancement. That particular lady had a, a, an infection in her central nervous system that was very representative of an ADE event. And, and because we'd only vaccinated, you know, at the time, about 50,000 people with that, well, even slightly less than that, half of that, so 25,000 people, and we found one of those events, you multiply that two by seven billion, you're going to get lots of those events. Right. 
you don't want that. So that's that. that so this signal detection. How well, yeah. So yeah, what I've what I've read so far is uh, uh, the the most common result is people. They said it feels like a bad hangover. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> And I should I shouldn't tell everybody this, but the first one you get isn't so bad. It's the booster that's the oh, <laughs> way to yeah, way to way to encourage people to not get that no, second dose no, there. No, no, <laughs> you know, yeah, that booster is a tough one. Hey, <laughs> anybody anybody who's ever been out drinking with us will be fine. They they're that's used right, to it. It's, right. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, um, so basically, uh, what we what we start off with is how frequent is the adverse event. And how and and how and and then over what period of time, and so initially when you start off these vaccines, uh, the reason you only look at like fifty people at once, hundred people at once, two hundred people at once, is because you want to detect if it's if it's more than one in a thousand, and you want to detect if it happens really fast. Because if it happens really fast and a lot of people, you're not going to use it as a vaccine. You're going to right. off the, the option, and that's the area down here in the black box, right? Then right now we've now tested for. Well, initially, we, the FDA said a month, a month of data, that's enough. Well, there's a lot of risk in a month. If you move from one month to two months, it turns out that uh, in vaccine production, we're most concerned about all the adverse events that occur before the 40-day period, the 42-day period. The, in other words, the, the six-week six week number. Most of the adverse events that you're going to see will occur you know, on or before that six-week period. Okay. Just the vaccine. So the FDA, remember, it came out and said, Nah, one month's too short. Let's go two months. And and President Trump said, "Wait a minute, you know, you guys told me, you told me, and everybody else in this deal that it's going to be one month, which meant it would have meant I would have had a result before my election. And now you're changing the goalposts. The, the truth is, um, that, that was probably a wise. Move. I was like, I mean, it seems like it was the right thing to do. Yeah, because, you know, there would have been a lot of experts coming out and saying, wait a minute, you only went 30 days on the safety. Yeah, you know, I, I want to see more data. And then all the public would have said, oh, shoot, you know, maybe what, maybe we rushed this a little bit too fast. And then they wouldn't have had, and you'll see how important it is that the public is trusting the vaccine in a second, um, that it, it was the right move. It was, it, I, I, in my opinion, it was the right move. And I talked to a lot of guys and, and you know, and, and in the field, and I know a lot of guys in the field, we talk all the time. And we were worried about the 30 day and we felt good about 42 and we felt really good about, you know, or two months. WHO on a worldwide basis, they want to go for three months. So we're had, we're moving faster than WHO uh, and the rest of the world because we only want to go two months and well, we'll, we'll see three month data fast enough as people start get, getting vaccinated. Right. And we'll see it on 20 million people by, by, uh, by, by April next year. So, that, so that'll be great. But there is an area of, there's also a scenario that says we're going to see quite a few adverse events, but it, it'll, it'll take, you know, more than three months um, to to appear. Uh, that does happen. Uh, and uh, if it if it does, then, um, you know, we'll have to kill the, you know, the drugs won't, 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 won't be taken. They won't be the right thing. It may, it may be that. Right. Yes. Have they talked about how they're going to roll the vaccination out? I, like, oh yes, I'll talk about that in a lot of detail. Uh, yes, the answer okay. is yes, and we'll we'll get into that in a second. If that's good for you, I can jump to it if you want me to. But um, I, I just no, want no, no. okay. And so 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 basically, there are two kinds of adverse events. And so this is what what you have to think of as a person, right? How frequent does it happen? How serious is it? And how much time have we allowed to elapse in these tests uh, to make sure that it's it's safe? And basically, I think that you know. 
in a few in a few months, we'll have enough tests that we won't, we'll see the rare uh, adverse events that they occur. We'll be in a de- detection limit. You can see the detection limits that I've, I've mapped out, right? Certainly by 2022, you're you're in a risk area that's very very small, right? So let's take that's at an individual level. At a population level, there are two kinds of big adverse events, right? The first big adverse event you can have is when it's generally dispersed across the population. This is like an allergy, right? You take it, you know. A young person who's in great health gets the allergy, and they have an adverse event. They may go to anaphylactic shock. The same, uh, the same issue is true about, about someone who's seventy, out of shape, and has diabetes. Right? They'll have the anaphylactic shock. It's due to the allergy, and it's pretty evenly spread across the population. It's not because you've got a certain characteristic of the uh, of the host beyond the allergy. And you can see what happens. Um, the the purple line is when uh, you've got ten percent of the population who cannot take the the virus, the 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 the, the vaccine because of the adverse event, and the light blue line is when you only have one percent of the population that can't take it, right? And you can see that slowly but surely people figure it out, and you can still get more enough people vaccinated uh, who who uh, to, to reach about the same effect whether these people are included in the mix or not. Right. Right. Now. The other kind of adverse event is the one you really want to watch out for. And that's the adverse event that impacts the people who are most likely to die to begin with. So you're talking about, you know, heavy set guys who have diabetes, heart condition, uh, and this this puts them over the edge, uh, right? In that case, and if that happens 1% of the time, you can see that we go from 1,200 people saved to about 485. It's not too bad. And in this case, it's about 385. So, you know, it's, it's, it's about, you know, what, uh, 30, 30% worse. But it's, 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 it's manageable. But if you're talking about something that affects 10% of the population in the high-risk groups of that population, uh, you're going to have to eliminate those really high-risk people who are likely to die uh, from the vaccine. You're going to have a a really high death rate, and you go from 1,200 to only 1,100. Only you're only saving 100 extra lives after all the work you've done with the vaccine, right? That's well, a yeah. I mean, you don't want the cure to be worse than what you're curing. That, yeah, I mean, that's, at least not for the population who's getting it, right? But yeah, yeah. So that that's a, that that that's going to be what we're looking for, right? If it's an allergy effect, it's because you have an adjuvant, a reagent in the mix, and an ingredient in the mix. You can slowly you know, remove those, find out, figure that out. But if it's a fundamental factor that's, that's impacting a population because of the way the vaccine works fundamentally and, it's, and, 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 the, and the characteristics, the, the genotypic and phenotypic characteristics of the host, as we would say, then you're talking about something that's not going to be nearly as effective and you're going to really have to watch out. There have to be special tests done. You know, do, do you have the right genetic characteristics? Let me look at your health record. Oh, you're on this medicine. And, you know, let's go, let, let's take you off that medicine for six months. You know, that's that's a much tougher vaccine to manage. If that makes sense. So basically, what what I'm my takeaway from this is um, I, I'll be I'll be looking to get it sometime around my birthday at the end of April. The answer the answer is you might if you are a healthcare worker, frontline worker, or, or in a nursing home. Gotcha. Uh, but if you're not in one of those three categories, uh, you, you might not. <laughs> oh, well, oh, well, hey, no, because actually my whole point with that is, you know, I'm, I want to see that three months, you know, I, I want to yeah. see, uh, you know, that I, I want that data coming out and that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of us will. Uh, in fact, uh, we will, you'll see that data in a second. So the last, the, one of the last issues, there's two more issues. One is durability, and basically we don't know how long this vaccine is going to last. Right now we can say with some assur- assuredness that the vaccines that have been injected to date seem to still be working after uh, a nine-month period, which is all we've had experience with 
And if that continues, what we do, the reason we look at one and two years out, we look at safety, but we also look at uh, IgG levels. So those are immunoglobulin mm-hmm. G. Uh, and uh, we also look at uh, at some other at some other immunologic uh, fa- uh, factors to see how how much they're still in the body, right? And that indicates ah, things still active. We still have an elevated uh, uh, antibody here, uh, and so we can consider that vaccine is still working. It doesn't actually really work that way. We, uh, sadly, we we're, we're cheating the system again a little bit. We should use much more accurate tests than we are using at, for that endpoint. Uh, we should actually be looking at neutralizing antibodies, not just antibody levels. Uh, that's um, you know that's too bad. Uh, but there's still some relationship, at least, between antibody levels and neutralizing antibodies. So we're going to see some impact if we really want to do this right. We'd actually look at specific antibodies that we're looking for. So. Uh, and you can see the difference. The flu, if you get the flu shot, you're done in 150 days. Basically, everything you all the impact on, the, on, on your, uh, you know, on, on your on your immune system uh, is, is, is over in just 150 days. So you have it. If you don't re-inject the next year because the flu is seasonal, you're able to get through the whole season. But if you don't re-inject in September, you're not protected anymore. And if you're old, elderly, you should probably get the flu shot twice, twice a year. Uh, I'm sorry, twice a season, right? You probably get it in September and then you should probably get it again in January. So how does this, I guess, how does this correlate to, you know, the, the stories that are hitting where people are getting it a second time, you yeah, know, after four or five, six months? So, I mean, if, if, if that's, you know, it, okay, yeah. the antibodies are gone and, and they get reinfected, how, how does this change that? And, and the, so it's a great Great question. The other big question is, can they find... I'll give know, myself a gold star. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, that's a great question. And uh, we're, we're looking at that very carefully. The, 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 the challenge is you've got to demonstrate that it's a true reinfection. And we've only demonstrated that about five or six times, a handful of patients. Because what you do, what you do Dave, is, you, is you look at... Uh, the, the, you actually have to take a genetic code of the COVID that infected you the first time, Right. And then if you get another infection, you take that, you, you compare the genetic codes and they have to be different. Now we only, do, we only, as you know, we're not, we're not doing nearly enough testing. So we got no idea. Right. <laughs> well, they do do enough testing where they are looking at genetic codes in Europe. Uh, for example, they've done a lot more than that than we have. Uh, they, they found that they have found in a handful of, 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 of patients uh, that they're getting different COVID infections and, they, and that's happening within a four month period. And if that happens regularly, even after you've taken the the shot, um, uh, so the first at the first shot, generally these mRNA vaccines will get you to the same level of infection as you would have uh, if you got the disease. You take the second booster shot, and you're talking about a significant, you know, kind of order of magnitude level more of the of the antibodies in your system than you would have if you'd just gotten the the, the infection. So we're hoping that the extra level, the extra boost from the booster, gotcha. is going to prevent that because you, ha- you can see the decline how that curve looks it yep. goes up the ski slope slope starts slow and goes fast uh the uh, if it turns out that we have differences in durability so you know you take the shot you're good for life and bob takes the shot and three months later they, they look at the antibody level and say bob you got to take another shot and you go gosh darn really you know well, dave didn't that that, that could happen now it could ha- it could be variable uh, uh, and that's harder to manage, right? Because then you got to start testing everybody to find out whether the antibodies are still there. And then if they are still there, you're good. But if they're not, you better take another booster. And that's a, that's very that's you know expensive. And 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 but that that might happen. We don't know yet. Hmm. I, I I think it's likely. Uh, originally, I was predicting we probably have to take a shot every one to two years. 
But given how effective this thing is, um, it maybe maybe it, maybe it will be for a lifetime. I, we just don't know. We have to kind of wait. And you can see my original arrows, you know, were, were kind of a year, two years. You probably, mm-hmm. you probably, in other words, what happened with SARS is after two years, you still have enough antibody level, but by year three, you're starting to get reinfections. And so you want to take the, the the shot in year two before you you know take the risk in year three, if that makes sense. So you know, yeah, with flu again, same thing, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So that's it. Now. And this is about serology. We talked a little bit about that. You might have to actually you know, look at the antibody levels and understand where you are uh, to manage your, your own vaccine if we only have a partially effective and, and, and durable vaccine. Now, scalability. This is another critical factor. And this uh, chart on one side shows how manufacturable it is, how scalable is the environment so far. AstraZeneca can right now produce 6 million vaccines a year. That, that, that sort of the, India can do eight million. Uh, I, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, um, eight eight billion doses, billion with a B. Um, Merck can do, as I recall, three billion. Ovavax can do two billion, and then you have Pfizer, Moderna, Sanofi, J and J. That can do a billion. Russia can do three hundred thousand. That gives you a sense of the scale here. China can do something about one point two billion doses a year with their current capacity. The size of the circle. Uh, indicates how many people have been tested with the vaccine, give you a sense of how how likely it is to be approved. Okay. Um, and then and then um, whether dotted line means it's it's not going to be available now, uh, but it will be available eventually. Uh, that means you know kind of within by, by certainly by twenty twenty within twenty twenty two. And then the colors are, are the different technologies, so you can get a sense of of where we are. And you can see you know again China is well positioned to become the vaccine producer of the world. India needs to catch up. Uh, Merck is a company to watch, but they're only in phase one with their what they've got. They've got two viruses uh, that they bought uh, from from Austria and, and, and Switzerland, as I recall. And then Novavax and Sanofi also have good capability. I mean, I almost hate to ask the question, but it, it, I mean, it, it, but I mean, it, it feels like it's a question that needs to get asked. Are yeah. are people going to trust a vaccine that comes out of China? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, and I mean that's I I realize that's a loaded question and not one you can really answer, but I mean that's well. What's going to be interesting is over the next couple of years, vaccines will be a currency, right? If you've got excess production of a vaccine and can start to say to Angola, we'd really like to have a few more diamonds or a little bit more chromium, please. We got these vaccines. Uh Are they worthwhile? China is much better positioned to play that game than we are. Because they control their production. They've got it all centralized. They know what the capacity is. They know what the needs are. We've got it more fragmented, right? Because we've got, uh, we've got the private industry. And, uh, a, a star in capitalists. Yes, we're more capitalists. <laughs> we're going to make money on the field uh, if, it, if it kills us. Right. <laughs> it, may, it may well. But uh, you know, so, so well, we've got silos, right? So you know, Pfizer knows what its situation is. Moderna knows what its situation is. But it's hard to aggregate all that to understand what the true situation is and be able then to, to kind of negotiate, uh, especially if you have to buy them you know, in the open market uh, from your own companies versus you know, trying to just saying, we'll, we'll take those. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we'll see you next year. <laughs> Let us know when the next batch is ready. And so China has actually changed their Belt and Road Initiative to a health, uh, a Belt and Health Silk Road Initiative, and they're already starting to say to countries around them, you know, you want some vaccine, let's play play nice with us. Uh, and Russia's doing the same thing. Uh, Forty countries with Russia, I think uh, more than that with China already. 
So interesting, right? Uh, it, 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 we're starting to see that that movement. And if we if we mess this up, you know, right now our business our, our business is, is second to none, right? In the, in, in, in the world, the United States is is you know when we when you go into negotiations, say we're a U.S. business, that that carries a lot of weight. And and if we keep embarrassing ourselves with COVID, my 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 worry is that uh, you know we won't have that extra little oomph when we go into negotiation with countries or with other co- companies. We won't have that credibility. We'll have to you know, build that back up again, and that that costs money. Yeah, you know, and that that trust level, uh, that strategic advantage, that's probably worth twenty percent of your business, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's where we are with scalability. And so to recap, basically. Wow, right? Holy cow. This has been amazing. Perfect execution, incredible speed, three long shot bets that you never would have guessed were going to pay off, that we were going to have a genetic revolution. We go from months to days to research and licensing, that we go to years to month clinical development. All those things paid off. Amazing, right? The data matters, and we don't really have the data. We've got now a second result from Moderna since I t- talked uh, to Harvard, uh, which is exciting. It means that there's, it's, there's suggestive evidence that this is more than just a shot, in the, you know, lucky shot. Is we got a, we got a consistent re- reproducible result. Phase three results have not been made available beyond the regulator. Uh, and everything we're hearing about is basically from the CEO talking to their his investors, right? <laughs> so, right. So you got to take this as a lot of <laughs> great assault, but. So far, so good. I, I, I'll take it uh, right now. I, I, I'll, I'll take I'll take the good result. And it's really, really early days, right? And uh, and we're and there are, uh, the unknowns that we have are because we chose to make them unknown uh, and not to know them in order to go faster. And so there is a little bit more <laughs> risk in the space right now than there is with a vaccine that comes out, like for mumps and so on, uh, or measles that we've tested for. You know, well, like for example, with a uh, with uh, uh, with uh, shingles, we we watched that for 1.6 years. You know, uh, for HPV, you know, almost two years, uh, just doing observational studies before we released it to the public. Here, we're talking about going right right to it, and of course, the earliest pass to uh, to normalcy and herd immunity, absolute earliest, and that's only for the United States, is kind of quarter one 2022 and it might and it will likely take a lot longer for a whole bunch of other reasons beyond just the vaccine technology and for the world we're talking still five six seven years before we can get six billion people you know to us to a point where we're not having to worry about this too much so the first question is how do we reduce the level of the vaccine before uh, the level of virus before the vaccine because we're we're going to be at three thousand when 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 uh you know uh, in in early january right. how do we get that down and the second question is how do we speed and increase the use of the vaccine? That's you know increasing the slope. So you know, how do we reduce the, the periodicity and how do we reduce the slope? Ah. And now the question you you raised, Dave, is is gosh, how do we take this thing? So I, I we got the we got the scientific breakthrough. Uh, the answer the answer is gosh, we you know, we got we got a road to hoe before we even get the vaccine. And uh, I was looking at kind of the next administration, whether it's the original Trump administration regrouping or whether it's Biden administration. It doesn't matter much, uh, frankly. We're going to have problems, uh, right? Virus is an exponential growth. We're looking at doubling doubling rates of t- every 10, 12 days now. Uh, uh, that could go to five. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, like I said, I mean, just, you know, every every article is 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 almost like a, a no shit moment. Yeah, this is, yeah, sadly, you know, and we're getting into Thanksgiving, we're getting into Christmas, getting into New Year's, getting super spreader events. 
test data, we have no idea. We were so low on the testing we need to do versus what, what you know what, to control this virus. We don't know what, what, what we're fighting, where we're fighting it, how to fight it. We, we got nothing. We got nothing, right? We, you know, it's the invisible enemy because we haven't tested it to, uh, to expose it. But economy right now, forty percent of the population, sadly, um, you know, is 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 in, is in depression. You know, we're, we're gonna have, we're gonna have people losing their homes because they can't. And I'm really worried about that. And I hope I hope Congress gets their crap together and the and the lame duck. Um, uh, and they had a session tonight, uh, and they're still you know it's still gonna be tough to get it passed. Something, anything passed. But, yeah. You know, I'm really hoping we're gonna get something done. At least you know something. And, and you know, President Trump wants something. Senators want something. Democrats, uh, uh, the House wants something a little bit more. They should be able to find something, for goodness sake, right? You'd think between between a trillion dollars here and two trillion dollars there, yeah, exactly, some middle ground, geez. But uh, but you know, if they don't get their stuff together, it's going to be really bad. We're going to have permanent scarring in the in the economy. Hospitals are completely overwhelmed, even if they're not overwhelmed in terms of having tents and you know, portable uh, morgues outside. Uh, they're still overwhelmed because these people have been working like hell for nine months, right? I mean, these guys are working double shifts. They're having, you know, these guys actually wear pictures of themselves when they're taking care of the because they have so much PPE on, you yep. can't tell who you're talking to. You know that that's that's what, what and you're having to take that stuff off, take it, put it back on. It's it's exhausting. Well, wasn't it, Bob? Wasn't you that said the uh, the, the hot new item was going to be T-shirts with your picture on it? Yeah. God, that's depressing. I think they're already doing. <laughs> we're doing that in healthcare already. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, yeah, that's sort of where we're at. You know, and, and we're still rationing PPE. We can't seem to manufacture enough masks. We can't manufacture enough, you know, enough uh, on, on, enough wipes. I mean, you got to be kidding me. You know, after nine months, we can't get our crap together so we can get enough uh, masks for every person. Yeah, it was it was crazy. The uh, I, I did a, a shipped order over the weekend, um, and and the guy that was doing the order, that was shopping, messaged me, and he was like, "Hey, you didn't have them on your list, but they just dropped like a couple pallets of Lysol wipes. You want a couple? Yes. <laughs> Sign me up, right? <laughs> yeah. Turns out the, the the chemicals aren't the problem. The wipes all come from you know Malaysia. Yeah. China. It's, it's the supply chain, yeah. Those are actually pretty hard to get, <laughs> to get, and they're all they're all contracted to Clor- to Clorox and, mm-hmm. and uh, Rickett Benkheiser for the next five years. You can't, you know, put new <laughs> new chemicals in. So, you know, at any rate, don't get me started. Then we have vaccines, super constrained uh, deployments. So the question is, if you were the boss, what would you do? Would you rely uh, on a new big weapon, the, the atomic bomb? Would you sort of wait, you know, for a while and then say, hey, we got the atomic bomb, let's use it? Would you close the economy, uh, or you know, at least shut down parts of it here and there, or would you redeploy with uh, with NPI and uh, with non pharmaceutical intervention or testing? What would you do? You know, honestly, I look at what New Zealand's done. I look at what Australia's done, and as as painful as it was, it's also a lot shorter than the pain and suffering that we've gone through. You know, I mean, Australia locked down for what was it, four months? Yeah. Um and and literally like you could not leave your house for more than an hour a day. You could not, you know, go more than 2 to 3 miles away from your house and it was only for things like shopping and that kind of stuff. And it sucked, but 4 months later they have zero cases. Yeah. And 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 they have resumed quote unquote normalcy. Whereas this 
you know, this kind of stop gap half assing it that that we've been doing. Yeah, we sort of gone up and then gone up. Yeah, it's it's not it, it you know, we're not we're not doing what we need to do because we're only taking kind of half step measures whether it be for, you know, the you know the the sake of politics or the sake of sake of practicality or the sake of, you know, just reality, you know, that that's fine, but it's, you know, like I said, you know, you've got you know, I, I live in Macomb County and, and Macomb County right now has the highest infection rate in, in the metro Detroit area. Yeah. You know, I, I saw a graph earlier that it was like, you know, it's less than 7% in the city. It's at 17% out here. And it's, you know, this is, you know, again, yeah. not trying to be too, but you know, this is a red area, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to how people voted and, and all that kind of stuff. And, a lot of people don't walk or don't want to wear masks, want to argue with people about wearing them. And it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Well, so it's sort of a trick question. The answer is, is it's not a question of, or it's a question of, and you want to, you want to use every weapon right now. Right. Cause you're talking, I was going to go with D all of the above. All <laughs> of the above. Well, that's it. Right. If we don't get control of it now, we're going to have a death rate. that's off the charts in February. Uh, so we have to, so what, what Whitmore did, did is she used early, you know, the, the early trigger events didn't wait for deaths to occur, didn't wait for hospitalization. She said, here's our case rate. Here's our total infection rate. Uh, and so I got to close down stuff now. And so she actually, you know, I know it was, it's, it's going to be painful, but she actually, from a health and actually even economy standpoint, not for everybody, but for Michigan as a whole, she did the right thing. Well, and I mean, you know, for people that are, you know, balking at, at what just happened here, uh, take a look at what the California governor just did. I mean, he can't, <laughs> or New York, right? They it, want to have their own FDA in New York, dude. I mean, yeah, I mean, the the governor of California came out today and said, "Oh, by the way, we're going on full lockdown, and it's not going to be in a week. It starts tomorrow." Yeah, yeah. That that that's when you know things are bad, right? Yep. He's been told. You know, the guys at Stanford they ran the numbers and said, "Oh my God," and that's what happened. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't take much because uh, once you get the exponential growth, you're in big trouble. Yep. So the answer is all. And here's what. So I, and I gave this this talk to both the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign. Doesn't matter who who wins. Um, the answer is the same thing has to be done, right? The first thing you have to do is you got to have a unified strategy. People have to be talking about the same. Well, stuff. and apparently you have trouble with this font. Yes, you're right. I don't my, my computer. I didn't. I I don't support the poppins. You caught me. Yeah, but it looks beautiful when it's printed. You know, in in the, in their back environment. I I don't have it on my emulated IBM environment. I'm using college. Uh, but uh, I'm thinking, but I haven't plugged my computer in. I better make sure I don't I don't lose you in the middle of things. So there we go. Uh, at at any rate. Um, you know, number one, have to have a national strategy. It's not going to be good enough to have states that have then, you know, uh, offsetting strategies, especially if they're right next door to you. Uh, and so that's what yeah, it's like. You know, it's like the old uh, the no smoking section of airplanes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, all works. <laughs> no, it does, doesn't work out really well. Uh, yeah, and that and you, and you saw that, right? And and so you need to have you know real consistent metrics. People understand okay, we hit a certain metric, and the whole country says, "Oh, we're hit this level, and that, therefore we do this and that." And we have to redo the, the CDC. The CDC has made enough bad mistakes that, that we have to get some. Uh, sadly, we're going to have to probably change some of that leadership. Out. Uh, second is we have to have a you know we have to have. No kidding. Every day, every American gets the, gets their N95 mask, and you know that that means that maybe 
uh, you know, PNG stops making Pampers and starts making masks. It may means that it means that you know Kimberly Clark starts making masks. People who know how to use you know woven product goods and 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 uh, weld weld those goods to rubber bands and and because it, this is getting ridiculous. You know, we should have enough stuff that we don't have to have uh, healthcare workers reusing their masks for seventeen right. You know, 17 straight times and violating all their SOPs. That's just not acceptable. Same thing with testing. We have to have ubiquitous home testing. And the FDA is blocked at it. They don't, because, and, the, and the reason they blocked at it isn't because we don't have great home tests. It's because they're worried they're going to lose the data. Right. Some of these home tests, you know, everyone says, oh, I'm positive. Better not tell anybody. (laughs) Right. So they're terrified that if they give everyone home tests and and let them do what they want to do based on the results of those tests, they don't trust the people. And so, you know, here's what you get. You go to your doctor. Two days later, you find out you've infected Aunt Aunt Mary, you know, in the meantime, and Mm -hmm. and he has a bad case, you know, and you, you can't. So you, you have to trust people to do the right thing, and they they they'll, they will. I mean, vast majority, certainly more more than who are walking around not knowing whether they're infecting everybody will, are going to act, act right. Right. So you can have this ubiquitous testing. You have enough quarantine capabilities, isolation facilities, so you can isolate these people pr- appropriately. Then you got to have you got take what Operation Warp Speed gave you, and 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 try to go to warping the warp speed. Right, and go even faster. Uh, if, you, if you can and, and as safe as possible, you got to have the yeah. Well, we have to rebuild the trust. You'll see that in a second. Uh, you have to have an infrastructure that you can reuse over and over again because we're going to have these pandemics again and again. And then you have to have a point of view of saying, you know, the economy and health work together. If you're really super sick, you're not going to be really productive. GDP is still going to suffer. So let's figure out a way to, figure, to to work both of them side by side. And part of that is, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, I'm working. I'm working a lot with medical doctors and epidemiologists, and they represent almost all the input that, that, that the government has right now. If we had business guys in there, we had, you know, uh, people with different points of view saying, hey, you know, this is going to happen here. Uh, with more balance in terms of all the work that the COVID task forces are doing, that would actually could be something good because we could figure out how to balance this better, right? Instead of, you know, all one side, then it can come out with policy and the, and the guys say, whoa, that doesn't look very smart. You know, we have to have a, a, a bigger team. Oh, I, I didn't realize I had the red thing there. I have trouble with this font. Please change. <laughs> so you just read it off. You, you didn't. <laughs> I could have. I could have. Oh, well, I have to take that font off. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't. I wasn't just making that up off the top of my head. I saw yeah. <laughs> you saw that. I didn't even realize that red, that red was there. Apologies. So at any rate, that's those, those are the seven essential things. And if we if we do that, then we'll have the curve that looks like this, right? We came up, we came up, we came up, and now we're going to start working our way back down again. If we do these seven things, we'll we'll be in much better shape. Here's the way it's going to roll out. You'll see that, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of the EUAs, a lot of the emergency use authorizations that the FDA are going to provide, and the, and the launch of these products is going to occur during the lame duck session of the Congress and a lot of the uh, state, uh, state, uh, state House and Representatives uh, and, and Senates. Uh, and that's a challenge because we have to have fast decision makers uh, in place who are empowered to say, it's a go, here's how we're going to roll out this vaccine. And right now people are sort of sort of figuring things out in transition. Uh, and um, and, and uh, we could sort of start at a, at a, at a, at a having have to start over again, right? And, and that would, could cost us like 45 days. And meanwhile, you know, 3,000 people are dying a day. That's 125,000 people that were that, that are dying off as we're figuring out how to, you know, transition our uh, you know, right 
and, and, and federal governments properly. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's a challenge. Um, so, and, and the other big, big, big thing is that we're going to have these huge spikes and, uh, happening just as we say, gosh, the yeah, vaccine's almost there, almost there, almost there. And there's going to be a, a real big incentive for producers and regulators to kind of cut corners at the last minute. So whew, some interesting drama is going to happen, right? Um, and uh, you can see the death rate is climbing up. I don't think we're going to, I think three deaths, 3,000 deaths a day overwhelms about 10% of the hospitals of the country. And that's going to then, in those parts of the country, you're going to see double the believe it enough, 10 times the death rates that are normal because we just can't treat all the people that are coming in. Um, and, I, and I think I told you that, you know, people in, in Missouri are being flown to Iowa. People in South Dakota are being flown into Montana. It, eventually, we're going to get to a point where we can't fly people around and people are just going to be set, set and we're sorry, but got nothing for you. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know that, like, you know, again, getting back to, you know, El Paso, I, I got, I think it was two, three weeks ago, the mayor there requested the use of military hospitals for non-COVID patients, because even at that point, their hospitals were getting overwhelmed. Absolutely. So I, I you know, and once you get to like 7,000 deaths a day, at that point, you're, you're, you're really overwhelming everything in the United States. And that's, you know, that, that would be a tragedy. If, uh, hopefully we won't get to that point. So the big thing is, we now are getting into the point of the science has come through. Now let's figure out how to uh, get everyone vaccinated, right? And that's the fourth big bet. So we changed the science. We changed the, the processes for developing the science and, and doing the research. Now we actually have to deploy. Well, yeah, because, yeah, this is, this is you know, the point that, that you had brought up before was, isn't it, I believe it's no vaccine has ever been produced in excess of 100 million doses? That's right. Yeah. We got we got a ways to go. <laughs> yeah, and now we're trying to get to a, and now we're trying to do that uh, times seven, times times eight, times actually the number is times sixty. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, times yeah, fifty or sixty. Yeah, yeah. And we'll uh, now I could stop here. We could have another session later, or we can keep going. What do you like? You want to talk about the first fourth bet, or are you guys tired out? Bob, I know I know this was this was your question and what you were interested in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, might as yeah, let's roll. Let's uh You guys want to roll? All right, let's roll it. Here we go. So hold your breath. Here we we're going into the we're going into the D-Day. So how do you get to, to vaccination? And there, there are four big challenges. How do you scale up the new technology, as you point out, uh Dave? 64. <laughs> how do you then speed now, that's the scale up question? Then you have to do that really, really fast. We're talking about, and the problem is the old supply chain is super rigid. It's old and fragmented. People aren't working with each other. So we're sort of cobbling it together at the last minute. We're figuring stuff out. Uh, then we have to manage all this complexity, and then we have to convince the non-believers because the only way you get the benefit is you actually have the vaccination. Right. And so here it all here it all goes. Right. You go from raw materials, subassembly, finished product, all the way to distribution, and here's the first part of that: sixty-fold increase. And right, so right now we can we have the capacity. We 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 produce 287 million doses a year, right? And uh, we've got 10 percent capacity, 15 percent capacity. We have about 35 million doses that are available. Because uh, well, the rest of that production is being used for producing flu vaccines, pneumonia vaccines, uh, shingles vaccines, and so on. All we have really available is 35 million doses, um, and we have to get to uh, 480 million doses for the United States by the end of next year. Uh, and uh, 
you know, so this is how it's going to roll out, 25 million doses a year per, uh, per month per company. Now we've got two companies, not just Pfizer, doing that. So we're probably going to get to 100 million doses like we thought we would, uh, especially if Johnson & Johnson kicks in and AstraZeneca kicks into the, to the, to the supply. Uh, and you can see that basically we think the EUA is going to come out in December. The healthcare workers are going to come out first. And we'll talk about how it's going to roll out because that's the big question about that. Now, the, this is, the, the problem is it's not just about the antigen, right? You also have to bring along all the adjuvants, all the reagents, all the glasses, all, all the stoppers, all the injectors, all the needles, and you have to maybe have to do some serology testing, understand what the level of, of antibiotic level is. And when you look at all the rest of the supply chain, that's 93% constrained. We only have 7% availability right now of the glass we need. Wow. Or of, the, of the injectors that we actually need <laughs> uh, to do all this stuff. We're not ready for this, basically. And then, you, then the, the vaccine comes together, the adjuvants, the reagents, the glass stoppers all come together in one big packet. And that has to be, you know, managed at minus seven, between minus 20 and now, now, now minus 20 and now minus, and, and after minus 70 supply chain all the way until it's injected into your arm. And that uh, has to then move along with a kit. And remember all the problem we were having with the test kits where we did yep. had reagents in one place and the swabs in another? This multiply that problem by like a million. Right. <laughs> so it's like off the charts in terms of complexity. And that then goes to 64 different jurisdictions, which all manage different ways. You've got 50 states, the District of Columbia, eight territories, and the tribal nations, right? Each of them managing slightly differently with different policies, all wanting to have vaccine right away, please. So, and then you're trying to push that through an unscaled, fragmented global supply chain because you got to get the these these adjuvants. We're not talking about stuff like oh, we need a little bit of alcohol. We're talking about like I have newt stuff, right? Uh, talking about the stamens of a plant that only opens its petals once every five years in the middle of the backwoods of Malaysia. I'm serious. No, I'm here. <laughs> We're talking about stuff that costs literally you know billions of dollars to produce a few ounces of. That that's the sort of stuff we're talking about. And, yeah, uh, for example, we need limulus blood in order to understand whether or not uh, things are contaminated or not. Now, luckily, we've got a way of doing that synthetically. That was developed last year. But if we had we we kill every horseshoe crab on the planet to figure out whether we got the vaccine appropriate or not and, and, and bacterially protected. We don't have enough stoppers. We don't have enough. The glass we're using, we're mining out of out of Greenland because it's got to be so pure. And it can't break and shatter. It can't etch. It can't uh, leach into the vaccine, right? All that stuff comes together. So at any rate, we're, we're having some, we don't have enough surgical steel in the, in the world in order to do all the needles we have to create, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> all this stuff is, has to come together. All these things, all these guys are in silos. They have no way to aggregate the supply and demand. And there are thousands of competitive decision makers, each one of uh, uh, you know, optimize their own operations. We have really slow moving out oligopolies, right? These are all really highly regulated. Most of it's by the FDA or EMA in, the, in, in Europe or uh, in Japan and so on. Uh, we've got a health, Health, health workforce that's completely tired because it's uh, in, in, under pandemic duress. And we got state and local governments have no money. Uh, and they're already complaining we need more money in order to do this stuff. Then we're going to have eight new, up to eight new product entrants, right? All of a sudden, the, uh, and, and, and every one of those are going to have slightly different business rules, slightly different supply chain requirements, slightly different vaccination. Uh, Pfizer stuff comes out in packets of 1,000, and the, and, the, and the vaccinators come out in packets of 100. And the vials hold five, and Moderna's vials hold ten doses. You know, everyone's <laughs> a little. <laughs> so you're you're saying we're back to algebra is is what we're is what we're oh, yeah, is what I'm hearing. There's yeah. a lot of math going on. <laughs> Trust me, there's a lot of math. So all that stuff's happening. Then you have the new clinical trial results that are going to change all the time. They add a 
how to add something here, take out something there. We're going to find out this is a little, has a little bit, a bit better safety profiles for left-handed New Zealanders, and this one that has a slightly better efficacy for for guys with red hair who are over seventy-three. You know, it, we'll find that stuff out. And I always say, okay, let's allocate that appropriately, and that's going to be challenging. Then we have the, the logistics, right, where we have twenty percent or more wasted because people can't, can't control the cold chain appropriately. We've got all these non-aligned state and CDC level allocation algorithms. We'll get into. A second, got ultra cold chain requirements, so it's 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 like holy cow. So is is this where something like you know, and even getting back to the PPE and and that kind of stuff, is this where something like the War Powers Act oh, yeah. would would make sense? I mean, as much as people bristle about it, like it, yeah. you know, being able to have some of that centralized control to say, look, hey, company, for the greater good, you need to step up and do this. That's right. Yeah, uh, the Defense Production Act would be really helpful. Uh, uh, to yeah, Defense Production Act. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, and, 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 and executive orders would be really helpful to get uh, people m- more aligned more quickly. Uh, you can only push people so far, you know. Uh, so you have to be a little bit careful. But I'll go into areas that I think are more appropriate to use those powers in a second. And then, of course, I'll, I'll talk a lot about the integrated systems, but they're completely. Uh, you guys are IT guys, so you know. I mean, they're they're inaccessible. They're unintegrated. They've got the data is highly regulated, so they can't be transmitted very easily. It's all antiquated. They got all the, all the applications so are, are, are proprietary closed systems. They're not, no, no one's using open architectures. You got really brittle IT operations that, that aren't, aren't, can't, can't flex with scale. So I, I will talk about that in a little bit because I, I threw in some slides for you guys. You might like it. So the third big issue uh, is the complexity, right? And there's three kinds of big complexity I'm worried about. First, the static complexity. We've got to figure out how to put together. If you look at what Pfizer's working on right now, they've got one manufacturer, one kit provider, one distributor. They're shipping to 154 sites where they have they're doing the clinical trials. They've got 17,000 patients that are actually getting the vaccine. Another 17,000 that are getting the saline solution so far at the time I wrote this material. That's a you know kind of a number of different configurations. You have about 109 million. Yeah, it's 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 manageable if you're smart. Right. Now, if you suddenly move to production, this is the level of complexity in the next twelve months is going to increase by a factor of two point six million. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, the options you're gonna have and the things you gotta have to think about and how fast and and so on are just just by the static just this is a this is permanent nodes. And then if you think about the dynamicism within each of those nodes, how many processes you've got, how often they change, how much they change, what the variability in the processes are, how much how whether they're nonlinear processes or not, whether the process control points, how many you got, how often you need to take measurements. You're talking about an immense amount of complexity. And I'm thinking about, I've got to think about all this all the time. You really have to figure out how often we want to take cold chain. How often do we yep. want to think about, right? How, how much are we going to release? All that stuff gets into the equation. That's a huge linear program that requires some quantum computing here and there. And then you've got some decision making complexity. You've got the, everyone has different policies. The politics get confusing, get like dependencies, sequencing hierarchies. You got level, different levels of automation. Some people learn faster than others. Uh, it just gets amazing. So uh, it sort of amuses me, you know, it's, it's things you can work on and play with and, and enjoy. But the the thing is, now we got a problem. It's not just fun to analyze it. We got to do something about it. Yep. Right. And that's what we're worried about. So let's do something about it. First thing we're going to do is we're going to figure out how to allocate. In other words, the supply is so constrained versus the demand that you can't use a demand. You can't just say, okay, everyone go out and get the vaccine. Everyone will want one. 
So what they're going to do, you know, overwhelm the system. What they're going to do is they're going to, every day, they're going to say, ask Pfizer, they're going to ask Moderna, how much did you produce? And they're going to, according to CDC, say, okay, you've got 10 million doses. And the CDC will say, okay, Wyoming, you get three. uh, And California, you get 40. You're bigger. And and, and it'll be based on uh, the CDC uh, is going to base it on these criteria. The first criteria is the first people who get this will likely be healthcare workers. And there are three reasons for this. The first reason that we thought about was healthcare workers are already healthcare facilities and healthcare facilities have some of the capabilities that are required to inject. They don't have to, you know, that, that's, that's helpful. Well, and, and they're the ones who need the protection from it right away. Yeah. And the second, uh, the bigger reason is they actually could get sick. If they get sick, they're down. They can't help people and they could spread it to other people really fast, uh, especially compromised people. And so it turns out if you, if you, you know, vaccinate healthcare people, you actually save more, many more lives than if you a, a vaccinate the general public randomly. The second big fat group you want to vaccinate are, uh, the essential care, the essential workers, right? Uh, guys who are out in the field, the police, the fire, uh, departments, because they are all, they're the same, and it's kind of the same situation. They, they go down and you, you're, you're, you know, you, you buildings burn down and, and, and they also are out in the public a lot and, and people get sick. And the last big piece you want to uh, um, uh, help out are the people who are super uh, fragile because they're going to die if they don't get the vaccine. If they, if they catch the disease, then they, you know, they're likely they'll die. So those are the first three types of people who will be vaccinated first. And the 20 million doses, the allocation right now, until we knew what the efficacy was, was, tw- was 17 million healthcare workers, 3 million uh, kind of split uh, mostly to the super sick. Because we now know the efficacy is so much better uh, than we thought it was going to be, it turns out that um, you'll save more lives if you uh, vaccinate the super uh, susceptible first. So you got a tra- you got a question though. Do you do you, do you try to uh, vaccinate the super spreaders first, or you try to vaccinate the super, uh, or you try to va- vaccinate the super um, susceptible first? And the answer is it depends on the vaccine. If the vaccine is super effective. The answer is you go after the guys who are going to die without it. If you if the vaccine's variably effective, then you go after the super spread. So we're going to probably vary that from seventeen and three ratio to maybe maybe as much as twelve and eight. Uh, we're still figuring that out. So then 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 you go to that that kind of goes through March, uh, and we're predicting that the vaccines will be available December twentieth probably, and maybe as late as the twenty seventh. Now with Moderna, there's more pro- more pressure. So um, phase two, 85 million people. And these will be uh, the, the rest of the elderly who are in congregate living conditions. It'll be teachers in education. It'll be other essential workers and the homeless and guys who have no access to health care who are likely to be out in public and spreading disease. And then you have to continue on with, 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 with getting the remainder elders with comorbidity and the laggers from phase one. And then you move to the next level. That's in September. We'll, have, we'll, be, we'll make the vaccine eligible for 90 million people. That'll be all the older adults and children. The reason we waited on children is we won't have the, the results of clinical trials until then. Right now, we're testing anyone over the age of 12. So we have to, you know, the school children probably won't get vaccinated until September. Sort of a bummer. But that's uh, but that that's the, the way the algorithm is going to work. And then phase four, which is going to probably be uh, starting in December of 2021, um, will uh, make uh, the vaccine available to everybody else. So chances are you're not going to get vaccinated. You were saying April? Probably not going to get vaccinated until at least November of the next year. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is that um, there's some people who are 
who are going to be left over. They'll need the second generation vaccines. They'll be the pregnant women, the immunocompromised, and people who have lots of serious adverse events uh, from the first uh, phase one vaccines, right? So they'll, they'll be kind of some stragglers there. But the real problem is that if you want to achieve herd immunity, you're going to have to uh, vaccinate at least 70% of the population, probably close to 85% of the population, just really safe. And right now, if you count up with anti-vaxxers, we, we see kind of four different groups of people. The first are people who just won't va- get vaccinated. There's 30 million of those. Uh, there, then there are people who just don't believe in COVID. They think it's political. There's 65 million of those. Mm-hmm. And then you have the people who are resisting because culturally they've been, you know, uh, discriminated against in the past. We're talking about the the uh, the, 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 the the minority population right. uh, uh, and uh, people of color, and uh, uh, that's 50 million of them. And then we have the people who are sort of, let's wait. You know, that's more like what you said, right, Dave? I want to wait and see what happens to the guys get vaccinated first. Now, then I'll think about it. That's about 65 million people like that. And so, I mean, that's that's 210 million people. That's the problem. Yeah. about Only about 40% of the people are ready to take this step, the, the, the first vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if that. Wow. That's what the service is. Yeah, that's the thing I was... You know, that's the, the logistics is what I was uh, oh. concerned with. But look, is it going to be, no, is it going to be free at CVS and Walgreens? Is, are you going to get a knock on your door? Is it, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm proposing um, they repurpose ice cream trucks and, cream and just send them through the neighborhoods. <laughs> Absolutely. But, well, so but, yeah, while you get your ice cream, you get a shot in the thigh through that garbage. Yeah, well, no, or a mister. No, you, 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 you take you know take a shot of the primatine mist, and you get uh, the fudge sickle. That you know that. <laughs> oh, but like, are they going to give you a, actually? What will it be better? Uh, are they, something heat, heated? Are they going to give you a cart then, so you can walk around without a mask? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm They'll just trying to think through the logistics of this. So there will be have and have nots, guys. who were able to get the vaccination, guys who weren't able to have vaccination coming together, and they're you know they're we're going to have to work on on that sort of awkward transition period that that the teenage years sort of period. Um, but the, the that's what's happening at the federal level. So so at this point, Wyoming got three doses, right? So what does Wyoming do? Well, the answer is it actually has its own allocation system. <laughs> right. So now you're starting to see some of the logistics. Right. Uh, and so in the first state, they might want to say that uh, prisoners, for example, uh, want, want, want to go for it. In Maryland, they decided to prioritize the pr- prisoners. They're going to put prisoners first because they've got a lot of uh, outbreak in the prisons. Whereas uh, Wyoming, I think, wanted, as I recall, wanted to do all the elderly first and not worry about the health care and so on. Each of these guys are going to use going to get their allocation and do different things with it. And it's going to have to, it's actually, you know, going to have to be pretty quick because every, every day we're going to have to try to vaccinate literally thousands and thousands of people in each of these centers. We're probably going to try to vaccinate a hundred people an hour, 12 hours a day uh, at these sites, uh, up, you know. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, like I'm, I, I, God, like I'm envisioning, like, are, is it going to be like the rock the vote things that were set up everywhere and you you go yeah. like, you know go sit and you know line up get you know wait your turn get in the tent get your dose and off you go yeah there i mean i was talking to people today they're talking about having you know car car drive through events where you can listen to jay-z and get down with him and then uh as you're driving through you know, get the shot in the arm and keep driving <laughs> get the little vaccination stamp yep i got wow. my vaccination yeah yeah it's uh, it's gonna be pretty wild 
uh, and each of the, each, each state's going to be different. Each, each jurisdiction going to be some, some jurisdiction, some states are bottom up, like Georgia. Georgia has the most counties of any state in the country. It turns out they don't want to do really anything at the state level. They'll let uh, each county figure out what they're going to do. Uh, California is a hybrid model, right? They, they, they actually have, you know, LA and San Francisco do their own thing and the rest of the, the other 68 jurisdictions in the state, they are centralized. Uh, uh, and, and a system called Cal Ready. I'll throw that in a second. Uh, other states are highly top down. Massachusetts, we do exactly what we say. Uh, we'll figure that out for Boston. Thank you very much. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there are different ways of working for every state. And basically, we all want to work with these four variables. First question is, you know, what is a policy? You know, do you want, what, which po- populations do you want to promote? Then the question about, it's about health status. You know, which per people are actually eligible, uh, for, for the vaccine? Uh, and then the next question is about how, how dangerous is, is COVID right now? We probably want to go with out, places that are forecasting having outbreaks versus the guys who are pretty, you know, under uh, quite a bit of control first. And then you, you got to figure out how much actual vaccine you got around. Uh, and so all the alloc- all these allocations are going to be, you know, figuring things out. And the problem is all these systems are basically ancient and they aren't scaled for this and they don't have the data sets available. And it's just going to be wild. So my guess is there are going to be two different strategies. One is people come to the vaccine, which means you're going to have you know big centralized areas like Ford Field. You guys come to that, and you know everyone in the state comes to that. The other alternative is to have the vaccines go to the people, and that would be much more. You know, let's go, you know, facility by facility. Let's go to the nursing home, let's go to the hospital, and so on. Uh, so well, yeah, but I mean, is you know, is your local CVS or Walgreens? Do they even have the, like? Do they have the capacity or capability to store something at minus seventy degrees? No, they, they don't actually. <laughs> I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, that so seems like a practical consideration there. Yeah, <laughs> and these are multi-jurisdictional, right? So yeah, that's the other kind of interesting overlay. These multi-jurisdictional operations, like CBS, like Walgreens, they go across a whole bunch of state lines, right? So they actually have systems that are are, are superseding these individual jurisdictional states. And these guys are complaining because, like, for Walgreens, we actually have they actually have seventy different systems that have to supply to all these different jurisdictions, wow. and they're going crazy trying to maintain them. Right? All of a sudden, they're, before they're sort of doing their ten vaccines a day in a in a facility, and they they sort of cobble it together and they scribble stuff down and fax it over. Now, doing a thousand, you know, you're you're doing what twelve hundred a day instead of ten a day. Yeah, trying to work with paper systems, and they're saying we 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 cannot manage. To, to maintain 70 different, literally 70 different systems for once or <laughs> to be able to stay, tell all the different jurisdictions. Right. It's wild, right? So it's just not set up for this. So my, so here's what, here's what the systems look like. You, you, I, I put in a couple slides for you guys because so, I know you like the IT part of it. Um, this is the way the system should look, right? The jurisdiction should be able, so it works from individual level all the way to the population level. At the population level, you want to be able to advantage the vaccine, the birth cohort, the risk group, the area, and air, the area, your, your, geno, your genotype, mm-hmm. all sort of, and then say, here's who we want to cover. And we'll be able to prioritize that risk group and, and get them all vaccinated. Well, it turns out that the population level data in most, in most states gets allocated every month. You know, so here we are trying to allocate every vaccine every day based on population issues. And we can only we only have the data being repopulated every month. And some states do it every year. Some states do it every quarter. 
<laughs> so that's that's one of the first problems. We don't really know where we stand at any given point. We have no national vaccine registry. Every every vaccine and all the information about a vaccine, who gets it, and what the adverse events are, is stored in each of these jurisdictions. And so in order to access this and find out what's going on with the vaccine, in order to aggregate all that together, um, you'd think they'd be able to do that. They can't. They have no idea because all the, <laughs> the that's all the surprising. All, all the different all the data models are different, right? They're using they're using non 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 machine readable data sets. So you can't automate any of this stuff. It's just like, you got to be kidding me. And then the adverse events data, it's a brand new system. You've never used it before. You don't know if it's going to work or not. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a good, let me just say it. it's going to be, I think April's going to, through April is going to be fine. The first 20 million and, and largely healthcare workers going to work out fine. I think when we, move, when we move to 80 million and 95 million uh, eligible, 137 million eligible. At that point, the systems are going to start to really suffer, and we're going to have challenges allocating the vaccine appropriately. And people are going to, you know, cheat the system, and there's going to be a lot of unhappiness. And you can see that the the the, the Mount Everest hill that I showed you, uh-huh. uh, the fireside—that's just this little area of manufacturing and supply chain, and the very right. bottom. Right? That, you can see that. We haven't. We have to build the rest of this stuff. We don't have it. We don't have electronic health, medical health records or health that's HIE, not ETI, health and information exchanges that are available in most states today. We can do it. Like New York is a pretty good one. Michigan actually is a pretty good one. Um, but most of the states have nothing that they can actually, you know, transfer medical records, understand who's been vaccinated with what, under what circumstances, what their pharmacy, full pharmacy management, full full pharmacy and medication management. Uh, looks like what 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 their full medical record looks like. We, we how to schedule people. Oh yeah, have. I'm I'm amazed every time like a what like right. whatever you go to a doctor's office and and they're faxing over a prescription. Yeah. Like what? I know. Yes, I know. I know. It's just so, and, and that's that's the environment I work in all the time. And it's just and then the pharmacy management systems. These are really mission critical systems that are basically there are five of them, right? There's one for Walgreens, there's one for CVS, there's one for the independents, and there are a couple more that are kind of scattered around. Um, and these systems are basically focused on are the, am I going to get paid and by whom? They don't, they're not really worried about a single vaccine right. and scheduling uh, and doing anything by that's automated. They don't have like an open table reservation. It's a, it's a physical call. And then you get the vaccine and you get a little card that says come back for your booster shot in 30 days. And it's all mad. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me, right? You're going to do that for, for 240 <laughs> I'm just you're, you're watching the and so this this is why I'm saying it's going to be a it, you know this is the this is the fourth big bet we're making that we can actually you know get this get ourselves together and actually make this work. Then you have to have vaccination monitoring. We don't even have an uptake monitoring system available. We have to cobble together what's going on at these four different four different non-communicative systems that are all very proprietary because Walgreens doesn't want to tell CBS what right. It's doing. No, it's it's and, and then you got the national laboratory system and there and. Uh, and and they're a very antiquated system. Uh, everyone, by the way, is using uh, HL7 2.5, so it's non-machine readable. So nothing can be automated. There's no tra- no direct transfer data into you know uh, uh, machine learning environments. Uh, you don't have. There's no natural language processing, no NLP. Everything has to be very structured. The supply chain management systems we got, uh, we we won't have real any real aggregation and understanding of supply or demand. And so that's the system. That we need but don't have. See, and the sad reality is, behind every single one of those boxes, there is, there are countless IT guys who have been stuck in back rooms and basements, 
that are ripping their hair out going, I told you we needed to upgrade. They've been working on limited budgets for, you know, 30 years. Yep. Right? <laughs> and they've been starving. They've been saying, hey, hey, over here, you know, we need some money because we're, we're, we're using old stuff and it's killing me. There's a, so in, in, and I won't say the state, but in one of the states, there's literally only one guy who, uh, of, of all their IT guys, who knows all the system. So you have to talk to that one guy. If that guy gets hit by a truck, there's. <laughs> and that's, it's probably, that's probably not an isolated situation either. Oh, no, this is a, this is a state that actually invests a lot in their, in, in, uh, in IT and their, this is one of the better states. And, and, and uh, you know, every time I have, a, you know, don't get me started, but at any rate, that's what we got. Now, this is what it's supposed to look like, right? The problem is that our systems are set up for basically monitoring very steady state, very controlled diseases. You know, pneumonia, flu, that's all in control. All of a sudden, we got COVID and that's, we're having outbreaks. Well, the system you need for an outbreak is completely different from the system you need to manage sort of a a steady state environment where you got lots of backstops and you've been managing it for years and years. You got to have you got to have real-time capability. You got to mash up data from all different sources to figure out what's going on. And we got no, you know, we got nothing. And so it's uh, it's a real. So this is the way it should look. You know, you got lots and lots of data sets on the public side, all all working to figure out the out- outbreak locations. When you get the outbreak locations, hopefully prior to that, you've got a forecast that says we got to get vaccine coverage. Here's how we want to distribute. Here's all the different systems that need to come together for that. And you know, you can start to get a sense of just you know, what we really need versus where we are. Not even close. So what we have to do is we have to have, if the systems can't manage it, then we have to have extremely responsive deployment. So what does that look like? Well, here's what the last mile looks like, right? We got to pull together all the allocation system, got to trans- manufacture, transport, and store this stuff in super cold chain environments. Then we have a state level allocation system for California. Then we have the vaccine that has to come together with the injector kit all you know, perfectly and brilliantly, make sure you get the right vaccine with the right injector kit. Uh, and then you got to have a vaccinator who's ready to stand by. And as you pointed out, Walgreens doesn't have a lot, you know, you're talking about 14,000 sites, as I recall, 9,000 for CVS. So you got a lot of sites, right. but they don't have, but they're not set up to basically be, be vaccinating a thousand people a day. You know, you sit there and you want to go to you know, Walgreens and pick up a, you know, a newspaper and, uh, and some bag of potato chips, and you're sitting there with all these guys who are getting ready for their COVID shots. That's not a happy environment, <laughs> right? And Walgreens is doing all this stuff for free, by the way, right? <laughs> they don't, they don't really like the impact on their environment uh, very much. Thank you, you know. And so I think the way to do this is with with mobile trucks. I think that's a better solution. Now, I haven't convinced everybody who I'm working with that this is the right way, but if you if you had 5,000 mobile trucks deployed across the United States, you could actually pull this off. And these 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 are these trucks where you go in the back and you come out the front and you're, you get your you know you get set up, you get your vaccination, you get your here's your booster and and here's what to do about things and 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 you've got a dedicated system that you know actually uh, manages the uh, appointments. And the vaccination uh, management and everything else is is, is superfluous because the rest of the system they're basically looking at that you know how to get paid from an insurance company right. that need most of the system. So then then that goes home. You've got antigen home testing at home. You've got a central lab that looks at serology, looks at the antibody levels, see if vaccine is working or not. And then you pull all those results in, and you can do analytics and and manage the supply chain uh, in a in a real you know closed loop system, which is what you want. That that's what I think is going to be necessary. But we but we're far from that today. So uh, that's uh, 
So we've got the, I, I, having said all this, I think we are going to get the vaccine out in record time. I think it's going to be ugly, but I think we're going to do it uh, one way or the other, right? So here's the last question. The last question is, are people going to take the thing? Right. So suppose we got a 90% effective vaccine. It's about off the charts effectiveness, right? If only half the people are willing to take it, the degree of control we have over the virus is 45%. Right? Yep. It's pretty simple math, yeah. Pretty simple math. So then what you do is you say, okay, how many people already have antibodies? They got sick, you know, uh, and they still have some antibodies in them, so they're not going to also, they're also non effective. It's about 10% of the population right now. Um, and that means that what we need to get herd immunity is, is 85%. We're going to be at 55%. So we got a 30% gap in control. And so the answer is we're going to have to convince some of the people in the light, in these groups that I talked about, well, we're not going to get to hurt immunity. And so, and if you think about all the things that happened, I mean, we did screw some stuff up. We went fast. We over, you know, this, this revolution kind of overwhelmed the CDC. It overwhelmed the, the HDA, uh, Health and Human Services. It overwhelmed the FDA. We were trying. We were scrambling a lot. People were working hard and had, had good intentions, uh, but we made some mistakes. You know, we were going so quick. So CDC lost a lot of lost a lot of credibility. We messed up the test. We we, we you know authorized. We didn't. We said uh, we, we we authorized things and didn't authorize things. We reversed guidances at the last minute. We we, we sent out guidances that were wrong. And it was, oh god, you know, it was there were problems. Huh. You know, and that happens. It's, they're not insurmountable, but but it, it, it hurt us, right? And then the same thing with HHS. They they got so frustrated. They said, "Forget the CDC. Send all your data to us. We'll figure it out." And so the, all the hospitals had to send stuff, not just the CDC, mm-hmm. but also HHS. What is going on here, right? Uh, and then, but we have a federal con- a contractors doing that, not 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 real healthcare professionals. So we've got the, some challenges with that. The FDA, meanwhile, you know, you saw all the FDA problems. Oh yeah, you know, so. We had problems, uh, and uh, and so people lost trust. And so, how do you rebuild the trust? And the answer is, well, you got to do some real marketing, and it's worth investing a lot in this because if people don't take the test, all this work we did to get the vaccine out isn't going to matter a bit. We're not going to get herd immunity. And I think these are the segments we talked about before. We could talk about they could be slightly different. The skeptical laggards, right? They're waiting. I think we can convince a lot of them. I think we convince them with education. I think we can say. Look, you know, see your doctor. Hear the, hear the doctor recommending it. I think uh, that, that we can document success. We can say, hey, look, we hear all the new things you can do if you take a vaccine. It'll be great for you. And I think that if they see that, you know, their population are doing okay, they'll, they'll, they'll be convinced. And I'm, I'm sort of counting on that. The next big area is the cultural resistors. These are the people of color who say, gosh, you know, I don't trust this stuff. It's just, it, it doesn't feel like it was done for me. Uh, and I, you know, they're slightly different. You need to, you know, they, okay, we made some mistakes. We have a new social contract now. It's it's easy to do, uh, and it's, and we're doing it just for you guys. And the, the delivery is much more through spiritual leaders, celebrities, trusted ambassadors, and also healthcare professionals. We want to get doctors involved, and the media is slightly different as well. But I think we can get about half of that. The angry disbelievers and the anti-vaxxers, no chance. Yeah. Right? We've been, you know, I, I've been in the field enough, and they... Uh, some people, some people are are absolutely legitimate. They they have reasons that they don't want to be vaccinated. No problem with that. Yeah, it's about nine percent. It's going to stay nine percent. You know, and they're they're, you know, they're they've got their reasons for deciding what they've decided. They have their data sets, and they're going to do that. And the angry believers, they're angry. You know, they're pissed off. 
<laughs> they can't blame them. They, they'd have reason for that too. Yeah. You know, and so they're not going to change either. And so I think we're going to be at about a 40% rate of non, and you know, that's sort of our best shot. But 60% will take it, 40% aren't. And I think that's about as good as we're going to get, uh, at least through 2022. Maybe it'll get better. So if we have mandates, if, if your employer says, if you don't have that, if you don't take that test, you're not going to be, a, you know, a server here, or you're not going to be able to be a policeman, uh, or you're not, you know, because you're going to be out there, out and about, and, and we don't want to, you know, that's our policy. So take it or not. And and there'll be a few people that are convinced by that. Okay, I don't want to lose my dad. We'll do that. I think school children, uh, there'll be some mandates for that. So we'll get it up a little bit more than 60, but we're talking, you know, not, not 70. Right, not where it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah, not 70, not 85. That's for sure. So we got to have to, we have to also prevent the spread of misinformation. And I think we can do that working with some of the platforms. And if we can't, then, then you start to use those executive war powers act. You say, this is a matter of national security. We're, we're killing off, you know, 200,000 people a year. Uh, and if that isn't a war, I don't know what is. And we're going to, you know, we're going to have an executive order that says, you know, all those guys are using social media, uh, you know, through article 230 that publish anything they like and don't, and, and don't have any, there are no consequences. That stops today. <laughs> you, know? Yep. you know, you're going to be, you're going to be in court for an awful long time. It's going to cost. You know, Mr. Zuckerberg, a lot of money, <laughs> right? Uh, eventually. So anyway, that, those are some of the things you have to worry about in this regular. Now, there's one more area that's going to be sort of interesting we have to control. And that is that um, there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of pharmaceutical companies that are going to make a lot of money. And the truth is, they deserve it. You know, they, they, they took a huge amount of risk. Um, we, we help them with that risk, though. So we should get some benefit, and we are right. We're probably going to save five hundred thousand lives, uh, that, and that's 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 a huge benefit. But eventually, people are going to get you know unhappy, right? They're going to say, "Wait a minute, you know, we took a risk with you guys ten years ago, twenty years ago. You're still making a lot of money, and it's costing me." Once once these deals go off off the books, and about by the middle of twenty twenty two, pharmaceutical companies believe they will price what they want. Right. right. Well, cool. and so I guess the, the one of the other things, because I know that uh, there was the issue where uh, right after Pfizer did their announcement, uh, Pence went out and said, hey, this was all part of Operation right. Warp Speed. Da, 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 da. Hey, look at all the great stuff we're doing. Pfizer then immediately came out and went, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so and, and, you know, both Pence and Pfizer. We're right. Pence's point was... Yeah, because wasn't there like a... There's a German company in there somewhere, right? Yeah, Bielente. Yeah. And so, and so Pence said, look, we gave you a billion bucks. That's that's not chicken food. Uh, and we guaranteed you sales of your doses on day one. So that's part of operate... As far as I'm concerned, that's part of operating worship. And so Pence had... So Pence was right. And Pfizer said, wait a minute. You guys didn't help us with this. We went out and bought our own antigen. We had our own platform. So that's not really fair that you say that this is all about us. We we took the risk of those technologies, and then you're you're telling you're going to prepay some stuff. That's not exactly and and true and true enough. You know, Pfizer was a little on on the edge of warp speed, but I, you know, if you ask me, I think that I you know we gave them a billion bucks. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's no guarantee, so they had to get FDA approval. So Pfizer was right. It, you know, there was just a slightly different point of view uh, on those two things. The other seven companies in in, in Operation Warp they they got money for building the manufacturing sites. They got money for doing the R and D. They got and so they they were more into it than Pfizer was. Uh, so that that's fair enough. Interestingly, Pfizer has the highest price too. 
and we'll get into that in a second. So, you know, there, there, uh, there's some really interesting kind of jiggling going on. And Pfizer already knows, gosh, if we get stuck with this and we're, you know, suddenly, you know, accused of, you know, two, two years now, accused of gouging. Getting frozen out. Yeah. Or, or getting frozen out or gouging the public and we'll have a black eye for the stupid vaccine that's part of our profitability, but it's not that big a part of our profitability, right? They're going to say, wait, it's not worth it, you know? And, and so we have to manage that. And the truth is we should be a lot better at contracting. We're not figuring out enough of that social contract, right? So when, they, when, when we as taxpayers pay an awful lot uh, up front for someone else to take the risk and then give them the full upside for, for indefinitely, that, you know, we're, we're going to have to figure more about that out. But that's where we are right now mm-hmm. with the deal. And so there's going to be some pushback. Not, not this year, not next year. People will be, really, will, will be really thankful. But in year four, five, six, there's going to be some pushback. Here's what the, pro- here's what the dollars look like. Pfizer's at uh, if you uh, at, at, at they're about twenty dollars a dose, so both doses thirty nine bucks. Novavax is about sixteen bucks a dose, but you need two both doses for that. That's thirty two bucks. Novavax might be more appropriate for people who have uh, are immunocompromised, uh, but it may not be quite as effective. So you know there's a little bit of trade off there. We have to see the data. It's still in phase, uh, just kind of getting into phase three. Now it'll be available probably April or so of next year. Moderna thirty bucks, fifteen bucks a dose. Interestingly, you know, Moderna has to actually build a lot more than Pfizer. So Pfizer is, you know, getting kind of, they, they, they negotiate a little bit better than the other groups. A&J, they had a big capacity already available. Sanofi and AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca had six billion doses available. So they, they, they gave a, they, they gave a great price, especially when they put Europe at, at $2.50. That, that kind of allowed us to come in and say, we'll give you a little bit more than that, but not much more. That's so, so how it looks. Now, What's interesting is that so it's weird that the it's weird that the yeah. single dose solutions are cheaper. No, uh, Sanofi's double dose, AstraZeneca's double dose, J and J is single dose. So they've actually J and J and J said, uh, you know, uh, uh, AstraZeneca comes in at four bucks. Will be more than slightly more than double because not only is it uh, a single dose, so uh, but it's also more convenient. And uh, so we're, and AstraZeneca has a lot more capacity. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so that's sort of where it is. So everything's sort of following out about what you'd expect, right, from a good pre-market. Now, prices could escalate quite a bit uh, because once they go off the contract, they're able to price whatever they want. But um, there's going to be a lot. Of, there could be a lot of competition. There could be eight really good vaccines out there. And when you look at the and, you, and so on the, on the global scale, U.S. has already kind of done about 25 percent of all the deals. So we're slightly ahead of the game in terms of the free market economy. We've got, we've got 1.6 billion doses already reserved for us. EU has about 1.3 billion doses um, and so on. And you, interesting, you can see how much capacity is left. So, you know, CureVac uh, is all Europe. That, that, that basically Europe is counting on CureVac and AstraZeneca. Um, and uh, J&J has a lot of capacity left. Moderna has a lot of capacity left. But Pfizer uh, doesn't have much left and so on. So you can start to see this thing coming out. Sputnik V, that's the Russians. They have a lot of capacity left. Uh, Sinovac at the Chinese, they don't, they are about half done already. So, you know, there's so many some interesting stuff happening as, as we roll this things, these things out. Here's all the dose commitments on the side. And you can see the dose commitments in detail for Johnson and Johnson and how many percent of the population is covered in, in the UK, Canada. You know, they, they are really, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to cover their bases, make sure that when the vaccine comes, most of the population's, uh, ready to go. So that's, uh, that's the way things are, are evolving. Now, for the U.S., we got to remember that in this particular case, 
um, we're only 4% of the population and it's not great to be, you know, surrounded by lots and lots of sick people. But <laughs> <laughs> 96% of the population isn't doing very well. And you're the ones that, you know, are vaccinated and, 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 and doing pretty well because there's enough sickness coming into your environment that, that it's going to come back and get you. So the truth about that. And, and the other thing is we're not very good at this. It turns out the United States is usually like the number one, right? Competitor in the space. And so, you know, we're, we, we want to make sure that we protect Americans first. In this particular case, because we're, we're not, we're not so good at this. We should, the, the better solution, believe it or not, it's sort of counterintuitive is to let the global supply chains work this through rather than to be super focused on just the United States. Uh, so if, if you, if you distribute the, uh, the vaccines to the wealthy countries first, um, you'll reduce the death rate, uh, significantly. Um, uh, and it, it, you know, you'll, 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 you'll get about, uh, you know, a, a, a 33% overall improvement. If you look at, if you decide to let all the vaccines go to, to, to the places that need them most, uh, you'll get a 61% improve, uh, 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 reduction in death rate. And the reason that's important is because, you know, it might be the better alternative, uh, for the United States. To give that that uh, some of the Pfizer vaccines to the healthcare workers of India to prevent a huge amount of vaccine coming back at us, um, a huge amount of virus coming back at us, uh, than it is to you know uh, give it to the pretty healthy thirty-year-old who uh, is, is is remote working uh, in in Iowa. So, well, I mean, uh, and and I mean, that's that's logical to me because I mean, again, yeah. we're we are a nation of I feel better, so I'm going to stop taking my medicine. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and so, you know, if we get, you know, we, I can see that happening. We get, you know, the vaccine is, you know, prolific, you know, or uh, prolifically distributed here. Great. And then, okay, well, that means we can return to normal. So resume those business trips to India, to China, to wherever else that doesn't have. And that's, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, and so especially with you know, depending on how effective the vaccine is, and and, and what what kind of transmission levels and everything else. So at any rate, you, we, there's a lot to learn, uh, depending on the assumptions you make. The other interesting thing is the Rand Corp actually did a lot of scenario analysis, and they said it's true of the economy too. It turns out that if we go ahead and invent a, a, a vaccine, distribute only to like our richest friends, and say, okay, Japan, you get vaccines, and Europe, you get your vaccines, and America, you get your vaccines, and then, uh, you know. We'll wait on, 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 on Africa and India and all the rest of those. It turns out that we will go from a minus $3.2 trillion uh, impact on GDP, which is how much it cost us so far. It's cost us $3.4 trillion, uh, this economy, uh, because of GDP, uh, but because of COVID, uh, we will go from minus $3.4 trillion of, 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 of impact to only minus $1.2 trillion. So we've, we've saved $2.2 trillion of the global GDP. That's fabulous. It turns out that if you give everybody sort of access as they need it, we allocate not just from the CDC standpoint, but we pretend there's a CDC for the world, like the WHO, mm-hmm. and we give all the that we actually uh, almost break even. We go from 3.4 trillion to just minus 153 million dollars, 153 billion. Huh. So yeah, uh, because you've opened up all the supply chains. Right? Our supply chains are actually pretty dependent on the rest of the world. And also, uh, our, our, our demand curve is pretty dependent on the rest of the world. We, we export a lot of stuff. It's like we import a lot of stuff. So we, we're pretty dependent on the rest of the world. Uh, so it turns out that it works both from a health standpoint and from an economic standpoint, which is sort of cool, you know? 
that it's better. It, and it's counterintuitive. You think, oh, you know, I want to, I want to make sure I get the vaccine, you know, as well. But it, it, the truth is that uh, uh, if we think more globally, we'll actually do better, which is, which is sort of cool. You know, it, it isn't, isn't what I expected when I ran all the numbers. Uh, and I, and then I, I compared it to what all the, these other groups have done. And I said, gosh, you know, looks like that's right somehow. Hmm. Weird. So, but it, but it's true. I think, I think it would work that way. It, it seems counterintuitive until you think it through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's easy to kind of say, Oh, let's do that. But then if you, if you really have to think it through the other big thing you'd have, I, I have to say is that it turns out we already have a vaccine like product that is pretty damn effective. And that's masks. It turns out they've finally done all the math. The CDC came out and said masks about actually about 70% effective in controlling transmission. Remember, that's the important fact mm-hmm. that we had in vaccines. We're not even sure whether we're in control transmission and vaccines. Now, CDC came out and said, we've done all the, all the science at 70% control. That's really effective. You know, that, that's remarkably effective. That's better than most vaccines. Um, and if we add to that testing, 90%. So if we just use the tools we have, we can actually get to a slightly better number than the vaccines do even under great scenarios. So we've done all this work. Now we're going to have to go through all the supply chain stuff. And it turns out that the tools we had probably would have gotten us to the same place for a lot cheaper and a lot less hassle uh, than figuring this stuff all out. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of a, you know, that's, that's really important. And the reason it's important is because we know how we did it for vaccines, right? What we did for vaccines is we understood what the demand was. We knew what the, we knew what the supply needed to be in order to satisfy the demand. We're working toward that. We knew how much COVID was doing and we created and we, we said, here's what the true demand is for vaccines or the true demand is for, uh, uh, for uh, supply for vaccines. And we're, we're managing that. We haven't done that yet for masks. We haven't done that yet for hygiene products. We haven't done that yet for the tests. If we did, we'd know that we need about 50 times more masks and about 33 times more tests. Hmm. And if to get there fast, you could do that really fast. You know that how to do that from vaccines too, right? The first thing you do is you have a defense production act and you say, and you say, like I said before to PNG, stop making diapers and start making masks. And, and we want to see a billion of them a day. <laughs> you know, and, the, and trust me, these guys will figure out. I mean, down the road, at Will Run, we were doing what sixty-two planes. We we're doing what uh, a, a new a new B-52 every hour. Yeah, we can't figure out how to make it. some masks for every person in America. Taiwan figured out on day two of the of the pandemic. <laughs> for God's sake, uh, Korea had this testing infrastructure in place on day one. You know, we just didn't get our act together. Now we could do the Defense Production Act, less likely to the vaccines. We use uh, emergency use authorizations to the FDA so they don't make the vaccine. They make you know, new mask producers go through all these clinical tests. We just say, here are the standards. Do that. Yeah, here's the spec. Go build. Yep. Go, go build that, right? And trust me, they, 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 you know, the guys that I work with, the guys at PNG, they're amazing. Now, they can do this. You know, they, they can get this going. And, and then they have guarantee. And then the last thing we did, we said, and by the way, we'll buy the first 10 billion of those masks from you. Yep. And you're done, right? You've got something that works. So let's use that for the other quote unquote vaccine that we have, right? And that's the PPE and the testing. 
There's no reason we couldn't do that. There's no reason we got to suffer like this until we get a vaccine. We can get this, we can get our act together uh, pretty quick. I think really quick if we start and put our minds to it and create the, the, what I call the Apollo program, the space shot mm-hmm. uh, for PPE and testing. So that's the sort of the solution. We know now what works. It doesn't even require a space shot, but technologically, we had to go through a revolution in, gene- in genetic <laughs> genetic manipulation. Right. <laughs> we just have to know how to print, you know, basically put fabric together. <laughs> Our mask. Gosh, yeah, I know? feel like, yeah, th- this, yeah, I, I, it, 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 this isn't rocket science. <laughs> right. it, it doesn't require the Apollo program. Right. Like the diaper program. <laughs> that's enough for us. <laughs> so that's how we do it. And we know, and now we've seen it, we can learn from that, and we can be the best again. I mean, we, you know, there's no reason we're just not doing it right. And so here's and you asked about which countries are doing it right. Well, let's take a look at PPE. In PPE, the best comp- the best uh, the best guys who are doing PPE, are the best mask wearers, are guys in Thailand. But it, that's a smaller population. And it's right. A little bit. So let's take a look at China. They got they got one point what seven billion people that they're controlling. They got a lot more concentration. They have an outbreak of P- of this stuff. It goes through them like wildfire. We got lots of we got much less population density than, than they do in China. And yet when you look at China, uh, our, their PPE kit level controls 70% like ours is. What's interesting is they have a lot more N95 mass out there. So their PPE level control is probably higher than ours. They probably start at 85 or 90% uh, percent effectiveness in, in control. But let's just say it's the well, same as ours. Let's say it's 70%, which the CDC found. I trust it. So they have 95% compliance. We've got about... 68, 70% compliance. If you look at all the, it, it's, it's highly variable. It's self-reported. So you don't really know exactly, but we have that. So if you, our, our control is about 50%, right? That's, you know, and we've seen death rate go down about 50%. Okay. China's control is 67%. And what that meant was that they're actually, they're, they, our economy shrank, uh, significantly. Their economy actually grew 2% this year. It's not quite the same trajectory it was before. Uh, before COVID, because they can't export as much as, uh, anymore. Everyone Naturally, yeah. But basically, they're back at, at, at what I would call economic normalcy. I mean, it's not a great environment. You don't want to live there. Uh, there's, a, it, uh, there's a lot of controls. It's not socially normal. It's not healthfully norm- normalcy yet, but it sure is, you know, they're, they're, they're able to produce. So I, I, I look at three levels of, of her, what I call herd immunity thresholds, right? The first one is economic normalcy. It's the easiest one to get to. It's what President Trump was always trying to say. Look, open the economy. We'll get to economic normalcy. We'll have a great stock market. We'll be working and, and let's get on with this. But the problem was that we had so much virus out there, we weren't disciplined enough to control it yep. like China did. And so uh, we paid a hefty, heftier price for it. But he was fundamentally right. That's the first hurdle. You know, the first hurdle is let's get the, you know, let's get to that level at least. Then the next level, well, if you, uh, the other group to look at is, is, is Taiwan. They're really good with testing. They test everybody. And they, 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 they say, do you have the disease? And then they contact trace. You walk, you, you, you get into Taiwan. And the first thing you do when you get off the plane is you get a test. <laughs> and then you go into quarantine for to me. Yep. I mean, you guys have it really under control. They have 90% control. They've got 98% compliance. It's probably even higher than that. So they're already at 82%, what I would say, control of the virus. You go to Taiwan, it's normal. You know, it's people are healthy. They're, 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 they're out. You know, uh, out and about, uh, they've got their economy 
going great. Now it's an island that's a little bit easier to control, frankly, than a big continent. But the point is, these are the numbers you want to get to, right? That's the sort of the, and then social normalcy, which would be great, um, is, is really depends a little bit more on the journey you take. I mean, if, if you're like, uh, if you, if you're forcing people to do stuff and you go through all, and you get a lot of social unrest in order to get to, uh, by COVID control, then you really haven't won the war, right? It's not really socially normal. You, you got something. But it's, it's yeah, not, it's, it's a forced norm. Really yeah. Matters. The journey does matter. And so I, I'm saying we can't really tell social normalcy yet, but you know, it, it's another, I, I put it between, uh, economic and, and, and health normalcy. Um, so that's where we are. We know, we think we know that in order to get herd immunity on a, and get economically normal back to growth and, and people being healthy enough to be productive and so on, 67%, and for everything being normal, about 82%. So based on sort of the empirical evidence we got. So if we put that into the United States, I think with the vaccine uh, scenario that we're talking about, we could get the economic normalcy by early 2022, and we can get back to social and health normalcy uh, 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 on a global basis, because uh, that's what it's going to take for health normalcy, probably by 2028, 2029. So, you know, not bad. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And so that's that's uh, that's what that's what I what I told Harvard. What do you guys think? I, I mean, that's I think that's longer than most people are thinking through. Um, you know, when, when it comes to a return, you know, to quote unquote, and I, I mean, like, and that's the, you know, that's the conversation and, and discussions that I get into, like with our local school board here and that kind of stuff is it seems like so many people are trying so hard to put in quick, dirty duct tape stopgap solutions to get to what they, what they believe is norm, like what the norm used to be because they refuse to accept that that norm is gone. Yeah, that's and that's and I think that's a that's a really hard thing for people to wrap their heads around that you know, we're not going to get back to February until you know, like as you know that last slide until six eight years from now at at a minimum you know we're not we're just not going to be there. I, I think I think we'll get to U.S. normalcy probably by you know twenty mid twenty twenty two twenty twenty three people will feel pretty good you know it'll be it, certainly by this time next year we'll start to see that inflection point we'll start to see that we're really starting to right. win the battle. Right. And that'll really be a, a, a lift, I think, because we won't go into Thanksgiving thinking, God, it's going to get really terrible between. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll have survived a lot of vaccinations. It won't be have been too pretty or perfect, but uh, we'll have some uh, we'll have some good outcomes and, and, and people will be feeling like we're on a we're on a, we're on a good path. Like, so I'm, I'm curious, that. just real quick. Like, I don't know if you've looked into this or not yet, but we talked about it, I think, either last week or the week before where apparently there are uh, there's a team of scientists that think they've detected a COVID signature um, in a cough uh, oh, that, that that even, you know, the, the human ear can't detect, but their algorithms can. And so they're trying to figure out, you know, just, you know, you're talking about home testing and that kind of stuff. They're trying to figure out how to basically get it appified um, and, and how to get that normal. I just didn't know if, if you, you know, looked at that or, or if you knew anything about yeah. it. Yeah. They're, they're also, uh, they're cough signatures. They're, they're, there are voice signatures. Um, that, that you can, that, 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 and, and there's a group at MIT that's looking at voice signatures. So basically you talk into a phone and they hear certain, uh, characteristics about your lung function, but then say, that then say, you know, therefore this person is likely to have, uh, Interesting. COVID. Uh, so that, yeah, you, and you can detect lung scarring. You can detect the breathing levels, uh, through the phone, uh, through that slight application. That's right. 
Uh, so there, there, there are some interesting detection. There, there are bubble technologies. I, I'm working with a group of a number of Nobel laureates that you know are brilliant mathematicians who are trying to figure out what kind of how to manage bubbles. So you've got you know bubbles that are controlled by you that you you know, move in your family to uh, to your workplace uh, to uh, random bubbles uh, as you transport yourself to right. how to control bubbles. Um, so that's sort of an interesting technology. They're they're looking at training dogs to detect uh, COVID. And if you go to airports in Europe, they'll have dogs there. Uh, they're looking at scratch and sniff capabilities because some of the first things you've got uh, uh, that, that you, you lose is your sense of smell and taste. Mm-hmm. They're looking at at three different scratch and sniff tests. Um, but the best thing is going to come out is, is is true testing. They're going to have you know home testing that reports back. Uh, on a de-identified basis, what you're, what, what this, what, what this is, and it's, it, this is largely solid state stuff. So it's, you know, your cell phone detects it, uh, after you spit into a detector, basically, mm-hmm. and it'll transmit based on tokens, uh, your, your status. Crazy. That'd be great. Yeah. It, it'll get there probably first quarter of 2020. If you, the, the technology's cool, uh, and it'll get there, uh, for employers, I think by the end of this year and for the general public by, uh, early to mid. Uh, next year cool all right well man fascinating as always again thank you for taking the time to do this with us it it is it is greatly appreciated any any questions from the audience i'm happy i'm sorry i went on forever but uh, but i hope it was helpful yeah no that was absolutely i uh, yeah no i'm i i think we're good bob you got bob you got anything randy no, I think we covered all the questions (laughs) you look exhausted no i mean i'll Uh, well, with that, no. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I uh, hope I hope it's the beginning of the of of of, of you know it's going to be a troublesome uh, period through as I said, sort of early next year. But after that, I hope we're on a good curve. Very cool. All right, well, hey, Bob, take us out. All right, hey, this is going to wrap things up for episode three seventy four. Like to thank the illustrious one, Fred Brown. Find him online, fredbrown.com. Uh, on behalf of Bob, Dave, and Randy, do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here and go to bed. <laughs> See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. See you guys. Thanks, you guys.